Right, there we go, Phil. All connected. Cool. Uh, good, good to see you this morning, mate. You too, it always is. <laughs> um, yeah, just to sort of preface the conversation, um, I just want to kind of introduce Phil. Uh, this is the first podcast of the ICO podcast, um, uh-huh. and uh, so you, you, you're welcoming us for the very first one, Phil. I'm so honoured, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just to sort of cover um, how I met Phil and why I've asked him to join uh, the podcast is I met Phil uh, probably about, it was about three years ago now, wasn't it, mate, um, at a conference in London. And at the time, my girlfriend and I were both quite sick. We were still vegetarian and believing that that was the only way to heal the planet and ourselves. Um, but both getting continually more and more ill. Um, I'd recently been uh, sort of diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and a lot of problems that I'd actually got rid of the first time going keto. I'm I'm probably one of the only people to go keto and then to try and go veggie afterwards. Um, (laughs) And then after a year, it kind of broke me. Uh, I tried to go vegan a few times. That was even worse. And then when uh, Jules and I met Phil, uh, and read his book after meeting him at the conference, we both just decided to go whole hog back and we went out and bought a load of organs and bones, stewed them up and um, we've kind of never looked back, uh, never felt better. And uh, all of the health problems that we both had, uh, any signs of arthritis is completely gone. In fact, last night I was uh, rock climbing for two hours and uh, Jules had uh, what I thought when I met her was Alzheimer's, early onset Alzheimer's, and that's completely gone now. And now she's actually uh, reading books about memory and she's, uh, you know, trying to kind of expand on that um, and possibly even at a competitive level in the future. So, yeah, all all signs all gone. And um, I really wanted to talk to you this morning, Phil. Obviously, we've had a lot of conversations since then, but um, I just really wanted to talk to you about your healing journey. And, um, you know, sort of... I'd. I know you do it all the time, but just give us an overview of um, what's happened over the last kind of five years and and where it all started. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I I was I I got stuck in the veggie trap as well, like anybody else. I grew up um, eating sort of standard English meat and two veg and I was very healthy and um, then got into the whole macrobiotic thing around, uh, you know, 1980 or something and traveling around in a wagon hippie style and cooking up brown rice and lentils and things and really, really trying to convince myself I like them while, while um, my spine started complaining and gave me the first idea of what a bad back was. You know, of course, I didn't make the connection at the time. Food doesn't have anything to do with your physical symptoms, of course. You just eat it and forget about it. You know, back then we didn't know anything about anything, really. Yes. So, um, yeah, and as the years went on, I, I got into um, meditating and got stuck in the whole sort of secondhand Hindu veggie thing, you know, it's all sattvic, if anybody doesn't know what that means, it's sort of, you know, one of the three Ayurvedic gunas of um, uh, Rajas, Tamas and Sattva, you know, uh, sort of positivity and uh, creativity and negativity, that kind of thing, and sattvic is the whole sort of yogic, lovely, godly kind of food. Um, and that, that you know, it started causing a whole load of problems, and I, I didn't really know. I, d- I discovered what... Um, what it was like to have a constant gas leak in my pants. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, kids fart all the time, and uh, but, but nothing compared to what happened to me after that. But, you know, it creeps up on you, and you don't really realise that your house is full of methane. 
but it was. And, uh, you know, all sorts of other digestive issues, you know, um, heartburn, that kind of thing started coming in, bits of joint pain here and there. I think it was um, probably about 86 when I, I was on my um, <clears throat> TM sort of flying course where they do all this bouncing up and down yogic flying thing, you know. And uh, and I, I, I was uh, I stayed at the sort of academy thing afterwards and I, I started to get really severe sacroiliac pain. Of course, I blamed it on sitting in lotus position all the time. And, it, you know, bouncing up and down on your ass sitting in lotus position probably doesn't do it any good. But, you know, it should really recover much quicker than it did. And I had sciatica most of the time and um, very inflamed those joints were, which is where most of these sort of arthritis things first show up in the sacroiliac. And then, um, then I moved up to Skelmersdale, um, where I live still, uh, to be part of the whole TM crowd and ended up being veggie for ages and ages and, you know, started putting weight on and this and that. I got into a lot of exercise in the 90s and owned a gym, ran a gym, and I got quite big and muscular. I was never obese, but, but I was never ripped. You know, I could never get rid of the last bit of fat, however much mountain biking I did and however much training I did. And, and I used to have to put off um, a lot of training uh, training days because there were just too many, too many pains in the spine and, or this shoulder would go or something like that. Just more injuries than you would think were normal for, for, for anybody, really. But, but still, still, it worked. I got really big. And, I, you know, even back then, I was quite an old dude. I was, you know, it was 97. I was um, 35. But... But, but, you know, I understood about abbreviated training and all that kind of thing and, and, and put on a ton of muscle to try to um, prove to the steroid boys that you could do it with, without the steroids. And, of course, all that happened was, ah, I see you're on the steroids. You know? <laughs> so it was a waste of time anyway, really. But, um, yeah, and then through the – when I sold the gym and then through the 2000s, I, I, I uh, you know, I, I ended up eating a lot of crap. It was still mostly veggie. Um, you know, with the old chicken breast and a bit of fish or something like that. But not that that makes really a lot of difference when you're eating a load of rice and dal and pizza bread and, you know, pizza and hagen dust by the end of it. But but I, I got pretty fat. And then in 2009, I thought, all right, time to sort of uh, start this health blog and get back on track and follow what I was saying in my first book in 96, all about Ayurveda and training and this and that. So I started and things just got worse. And by 2010, I was living on um, um, uh, and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, that kind of thing, um, um, proton pump inhibitors, Rennies, you know, um, reflux meds. And, uh, and then I had a bout of iritis, which is where the eye flares up, the iris flares up, and it kind of glues itself onto the lens, and it's incredibly painful. And you start to go blind. You do go blind, actually, if you don't have it sorted. I didn't figure it for ages until the eye was sort of full of all this milky fluid. Wow. And uh, <laughs> then started asking these questions. You know, you tip some steroid drops in there and it goes. There's some great things in Western medicine. You know, they've saved my sight four times now as I've had bouts of that. But they started to ask questions early in that year. Have you got some kind of arthritic condition? It's very associated with it. And no, 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 I'm fine. I got a bit of a bad back. A bit of a bad back. I, I used to... <laughs> I used to wake up about four times a night and have to sit up and twist around and whatever just to loosen it up to be able to get some sleep again. Wow. Mostly like in between my shoulder blades. Uh, that whole area was, 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 was agony. 
And later in the year, I went off to a holiday in Thailand, and I remember living on this lake and doing this fishing for these massive fish, and I was this sort of big, fat, dreadlocked dude, and, you know, boiling hot, inflamed all the time. If I played a gig, I'm a drummer, and if I played a gig, I had to have a fan on the kit, and um, it was it was all very uncomfortable. And then, um, and then when I got back from that holiday, having really, really piled in the, the um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories just to be able to get up in the morning, go down and fish. I thought, I'm not having it ruin my holiday, all of that crap, you know. And um, about a month later, one ankle kind of blew up and I couldn't walk on it. And I thought it was an old injury from falling off a climbing wall a few years before. But then the other ankle blew up and then the knee and then, you know, then the wrist kicked off again, which actually had been kicking off since the early 90s, but only a bit here and there. And I hadn't really figured it out. Luckily, I didn't get a diagnosis back then or I'd have probably taken their awful meds. Um, and then, uh, you know, other joints started to get affected. But it was mainly wrists, uh, ankles and knee. And, and they were so bad, really swollen and I could hardly walk on them. And eventually they figured it out and they said, okay, it's psoriatic arthritis and there'll never be a cure and uh, you'll have it for the rest of your life unless you take these medications. And if you don't take these medications, it'll go into your heart and your lungs and you'll be, be developing other autoimmune conditions and you'll be at risk for malignancies. I thought, fucking A. <laughs> and and I, only after, you know, and a couple of years after that, did I realize that, yes, that's the path that they always see. Yeah, sure. At, you know, meds, um, despite the meds, <laughs> or probably largely because of them. Yeah. And, and you know, so uh, anyway, so the journey started. And because I was veggie or, uh, you know, I still think a couple of chicken breasts a month is veggie. I don't think it makes any difference. It's still a plant based diet. And uh, I decided, right, I panicked and I thought, oh, God, veganism must be the way to go. And so I went vegan. That didn't help. You know, nothing hurts as much as quinoa. And I mean, how anybody would want something that's so inflammatory that tastes so shit. I can imagine, you know, if it's chocolate cake or something, you know, great. Yeah. But yeah. quinoa, quinoa, <laughs> come on. It's nuts. So anyway, you know, I remember I, there was two days I couldn't even walk after the chemo. I was crawling, but only on one knee and two hands because the other knee I couldn't put on the ground. You know, I quinoa. Wow. Anyway. So, yeah. I, and then that didn't work. So I thought, well, I'm not vegan enough. <laughs> <laughs> which is a common thing so yeah. i thought right let's go raw vegan so god raw veganism that was horrible i mean come on you know salads with no oil doug what's his name you know 80 10 10 diet yeah yeah oh, yeah oh doug graham isn't it oh what a vile way to eat you're only allowed to have half an avocado a week because you mustn't have any overt fats. Yes. <laughs> like, oh. So it was, this, I was, oh, it was, it was revolting. And so I thought, well, all right, I've got one option. I got sugar. Let's go fruitarian. <laughs> so, so, you know, I discovered all, all the lunatics like Durian Rider and whatever, and, and, and had tons of bananas and had all these smoothies and, and, uh, you know, I thought I better put something reasonably sort of sugar free in. So I started packing all the smoothies with spinach as well. It was oxalate soup. Yeah, you know, it was. Yeah, it yeah. was poison. It was absolute poison. I was still in just as much pain, except I lost all my muscle mass that ended up like 10 stone, which is what, 140 pounds. Is it? Yes. Um, with, um, with with just as much inflammation. But I lost all my muscle and I had still had a little belly even at that weight. 
I was just skinny fat, really ill. And of course, then the kidney stones started to come. You know, oh, what's this? What's all this? How has this happened? You know, I've been on the purest diet ever. I didn't, I didn't know anything about oxalates back then, but it was the spinach. And uh, yeah, so, you know, munching my way through all this vile stuff, my teeth hurting, the, starting to, the enamel starting to go. Um, fine, it's all re-enameled now. I still only got one little filling. I got through that, uh, that period really well compared to a lot of people, I think. But then one day I, I was just going so insane that I thought, you know, I, I, I was walking into rooms, didn't know where I was, leaving taps on, flooding rooms out, leaving cookers on. You know, my two-year-old daughter, as, as she was at the time, uh, had to tell me, you know, had to follow me around to tell me whether I was spraying my own trousers with, with like washing up water as a plate <laughs> in there and I'd left the tap on. You know. I, I, I honestly, I was, I was gone. And, and luckily at that time, I started to understand about the GAPS diet and um, I'd seen Natasha Campbell McBride was starting to consider it. I'd had a couple of false starts on it because it can feel weird to start with. This is where a lot of people turn back, I think. You know, when you've been eating all those plants for ages, you start to introduce a whole load of animal products and the digestion goes mad. You don't realize there's an adaptation phase. And so, you know, you bottle out and stop. And so I, I, I did that, you know, I bottled out a few times. But then I started to I started to find Jack Cruz like you did, you know. And his website, you know, particularly to somebody with that much vegan brain fog, was absolutely unintelligible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I picked up enough to realize that I was doing it all wrong, particularly for my lo location, you know, my latitude and the season which was uh, kind of still well winter, well coming out of winter into spring by that time, 2011 probably. And I remember I thought, well, first of all, I thought I've had enough of this. I took a whole load of painkillers one day and we went out to the Chinese buffet and ate everything. I, I mean, they made a real loss that day. I ate every animal in there, nothing else. And it felt so good. I mean, it was crap food. It was all chicken and stuff, which isn't ideal, but it was so much better than the, you know, juiced bananas and spinach that, it, it, you know, it, it was uh, it was heaven. And then I thought, right, I'm going to go on this fish fast. So I, I had only fish for a week and all my mental faculties came back. Everything started to come back. And I started to understand more about Jack and his ideas of light and cold thermogenesis. And I, I did um, <laughs> I did my first day of, um, of, of doing both. I did cold thermogenesis, orange shades on. And shivering away, I could hardly, you know, I wasn't sleeping at all. And I thought, this has really blown the night's sleep. And I woke up like 11 hours later. Just, I never had such a good night's sleep. I thought he's really onto something. So I got into all the cold thermogenesis. And um, I was on a low-carb diet then pretty much, you know, up till about 2015. And, and things started to sort themselves out. And got, you know, started to work on all the subtler stuff, all the emotional stuff. And, you know, once the symptoms were down, you started to be able to do that kind of thing. Lots of cold baths, burned the last of the fat off me, left me looking like a Belson victim. <laughs> I was so emaciated. I was like 124 pounds, I think. Wow. Um, and, you know, 5'10", that's not a very good look, particularly if, you, if you've been like 16 stone, you know, 210 or whatever pounds. It's, uh, you know, there's a bit of skin there. But those cold baths, they started tightening the skin up. They started... Um, taking away the inflammation, it was beautiful, absolutely amazing. And so I just read deeper and deeper into it. And from that point on, I had some money at the time. I didn't, I didn't have to work. I could sit around and research 12 hours a day, which I did. 
and and the stuff that I uncovered was was incredible. I mean, the knowledge is pretty much commonplace. Well, it's not commonplace, but you know, a lot of people are cottoning onto it now. Uh, and I think it's time to give this knowledge to everybody. It doesn't seem quite so insane as it did, but but things started to mend. And um, and then in in 2015, I, I think it was, I dropped the last of the veg out, and I haven't had any any starch whatsoever since then. I've had the odd sort of massive great bowl of um, you know, Greek yogurt mixed with cream and honey and stuff. Because I found, even when I was really sick, um, the the so if I had a bar of chocolate, it didn't have any effect. But if I had some veg, it would kick something off. And I understand that about taking it further down into the into the gut and uh, activating Klebsiella bacteria. So so commonly associated with these kind of conditions. But anyway, no, none of the starch, none of that, and uh, the occasional slip up to start with, not really anymore. Um, Except for the old red wine, but that, that doesn't really seem to harm me. I, I just, it probably does other things, but it doesn't do anything to my joints. And, and my liver blood results are perfect, which they weren't when I was veggie and vegan. They were all over the place. I had fatty liver, cysts on the liver. That's all gone. So anyway, yeah, since 2015, that's, that kind of brings us up to the present. And I've just been eating lots of um, dead, rotting animal carcasses in the old <laughs> chicken period. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been delicious and i've never enjoyed my food more never felt better and never had so many death threats from vegans yeah <laughs> <laughs> there we go right kind of brings us up to the present fantastic so. great phil <laughs> we well, i guess to jump in and this is probably where um i'm a little bit kind of weird in the sense that i i actually went keto um as you well know i i was pretty overweight i'd got a load of stuff going on <clears throat> this is going a few years back now, uh, probably coming up to five years or so. And um, I, I went keto as a kind of last resort because I, I did the normal thing, went to the gym, nothing happened, nothing worked. Saw a documentary, decided I'd got nothing to lose, went keto, lost a stone, you know, 14 pounds in like three weeks. And then the rest just fell off effortlessly. Uh, for the first time in my life, I was waking up in the morning with loads of energy. Um, I was going to the gym and actually, you know, after an hour's workout, I was standing around waiting to meet friends and ending up doing another hour just because I had so much energy. I didn't know what to do. But then after being keto for about two years, um, I kind of fell into this whole um, uh, trap of environmental kind of veganism. And so uh, somebody that I, I went to go and do a talk with sent me the Cowspiracy film. And then I kind of ended up looking at a lot of other stuff. And, and I I felt kind of guilty for eating all of these animal products. And so I ended up, you know, going veggie and um, where before I'd found it really effortless to keep weight off. Um, I built muscle incredibly fast. I mean, to start with, when I went keto, I was putting two kilo a week on my lift. So, you know, pretty, pretty amazing progress. And it all disappeared. Um, I would say probably within the first three months of eat and bearing in mind, I was veggie. I wasn't vegan. Um, and so it kind of all, all disappeared. Uh, I couldn't rock climb anymore. I was going to the gym maybe once a week when I could kind of muster it. And I was going into the gym with coffee or green teas or matches and stuff just to kind of give me the energy to get through the workout. Um, so I, I'm kind of interested because obviously you had such a background within the kind of spiritual community. And, and I think that's one of the things that really stands out to me is that the, the idea of, um, you know, not harming others, not harming the world, living in this, you know, idealistic balance of, um, 
you know, non-judgment, non-jud- non-harm, no, no killing. Um, so I, I'm just kind of interested because I know that you know a lot about that. And actually, when you go back and research, uh, you know, Ayurvedic medicine and, and the, the Vedas, um, they actually talk about meat quite a bit, don't they? They do, yeah. If, if you if you look in the Charak Samhita, it's like thousands of years old or whatever. <clears throat> and you, they, they say in the Baba Prakashan, they say... Um, for the protection and nourishment of the body, there is no food superior to meat. They say that um, uh, meat is like meat of freshly killed animals is like amrit, like nectar. You know, you, you, you see all of this, and, and Ayurveda has become very misinterpreted. My, my first book that I wrote had loads about Ayurveda in it, and I was going on about this and that. Now, you know, they list the meats and the different doshas that they affect and all that sort of thing. But nobody eats them. You know, everybody's... <laughs> Everybody's up here in the, in, the, in the north of England, in Skelmersdale here, where it's a TM community. And, you know, very few of them eat. Like some of them have added a bit in now. But, but you know, the, the Ayurvedic doctors even visit from India and say, for God's sake, start eating some meat. Wow. But then they think, oh, well, all right, I'll just add a bit of chicken here, a bit yeah, of fish there. Yeah. But, you know, there's that old study, isn't there, where, where uh, the Georgia Reed often mentions, where they gave somebody... Uh, well, they, they did a study on a bunch of people and they, they wanted to see how the zinc levels rose up in uh, it, it, from eating oysters. So they gave one group of people just oysters and their zinc levels just shot up massively. They gave another group of people oysters and black beans and only half the results of the zinc absorption. And then they gave some the other lot um, oysters and like tortillas or something, I think. And they had no change in their zinc levels. So, you know, when people say, oh, I eat meat or I have a, all my relatives eat meat and they're all sick, it's absolutely irrelevant. You know, there's so many anti-nutrients in plants. There's so many, you know, it sounds like I'm really demonizing all of this. I, I do demonize grains. I think they're pretty horrendous for everybody. And pulses can be awful. Um, you know, some people get away with it, sort of. They claim to, but, you know, when, when I'm actually standing in front of them and they're telling me how healthy they are, it's, it's pretty obvious that there's an awful lot of problems there. <laughs> Uh, okay, they haven't got any actually diagnosed fatal illness yet, but you know it's it's obvious there's a problem. So I'm not I'm not demonising all plants. I think if you eat seasonal, I don't I don't think we ever ate really these above ground stalks of plants. I, I don't think they're really any good. They're full of toxins to keep the animals off from eating them. The the root veg, great. You know if 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 you're some hunter gatherer guy and you dig up a yam and you mix it up with some nice animal fat, you know that's delicious and they're going to eat it and it's going to be fine. Uh, they got everything else right though. You know, in, in the modern day, it's it's like like Jack said when he had his Factor X thing about um, Jesus. I just thought of the X Factor, and I thought that that, that really stumped my conversation. <laughs> no, it's absolutely nothing like Simon Cowell's version of it. No, it's Jack Jack's uh, Factor X, which means that you know everything else is changing in the environment, so we can't stay healthy on the sort of diet that our grandparents stayed healthy on. Sure. So people who kind of stayed healthy and they're sort of okay at 50 or 60 years old, sort of, oh, I've been veggie for 30 years. You can see the problems in them and the problems are going to start getting worse, particularly as, as 4G moves to 5G, you know, and the EMFs come up with all these crazy communications we've got. But, you, you know, you, you, your guy out there in the rainforest or whatever, tramping around barefoot, he's getting the sun, he's getting a, he's in a low deuterium environment, which maybe we'll get onto if, if people don't know what deuterium is. But, you know, it, and then people go, oh, well, look, they ate loads of vegetables and they were healthy. That's got nothing to that. That's about <laughs> as relevant as whether they had green trousers or not. You know, it's it's got nothing to do with it. It really sure, is. Sure. 
you know, we lose our privileges now when we're really broken with all sure. these modern diseases. And sure. so, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not demonizing all of these things necessarily. You know, nothing's going to do any a healthy person harm if, if they eat a few root veg and a few seasonal berries and, and, and fruits and whatever, not the ones bought out the supermarket that are just bread for sugar. So if they're eating that, that's fine. I'm not like everybody has to eat meat all, all the time. But, you know, it is the reset food. And, and if you look in ancient cultures, you can find it. You just, you know, I, I just wish for, uh, vegans would just sit in front of a cave painting for a while. Yeah. You know, sure. that's all. Yeah, sure. It's the only dietary lesson you need. What did we grow up on? Oh, we were always vegetarian. What were we doing with those mammoths? Then? Were we tickling them? <laughs> were we running around, you know, cuddling just, them? Yeah. What were we doing? You know, there's no cave paintings with somebody spearing a head of broccoli, is there? There's, it, it, it doesn't happen. You yeah, know that. Sure, so sure. if only they could just look at that and just let it sink in. Just go look at that cave painting for a while. What did we used to do? Then look at the old Ayurvedic texts. You know, all of this nonsense about about vegan cultures that it, it's been horribly misrepresented. You know, the Okinawans ate a load of fish and pork. Who's to say that it wasn't all the lovely low deuterium um, food in, in, in the pork fat that kept them alive for such a long time? Sure, sure. Um, they're certainly not the longest lived people in Japan nowadays. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Particularly, yeah, particularly since the generations have moved on and all the young people who got killed in the war. You know, it, that, that factor hasn't come in to bump up the average age. You know, all of these statistics have been so bent around. And so there's levels and levels of dogma. I'd love to be able to talk about all the other stuff, you know, all of that healing that comes from emotional balancing and environment and all of that thing, but end up stuck in diet so much just because, sure, sure, sure. Just because of some weird studies that were done, most of which have been debunked. <clears throat> have you heard this latest thing? This was brilliant. There's a, there's a podcast out there. Um, it's called Peak Human. And I've, I've got really into them recently. It's not fully carnivore, although there's, there's been some carnivore people on there. But the, the, the guy who does it, and I'm so, so apologize, I've forgotten his name. He's doing the Food Lies film. Okay, um, right. Yeah, and, and he's, he's very cool. He's very chilled out, you know, whatever happens. But he had a guy on there um, who was actually in the, oh, God, was it in that? Or Sean Baker's Human Performance Outliers. Anyway, never mind. We'll put it in the show notes or something. Sure. But yeah. and I'll get right by then but there was a guy and again i've forgotten his name but he was on the committee of the world health organization when they came out with this business about um meat causes cancer <laughs> and it was fascinating because he was saying it was one of the most frustrating and embarrassing times of his professional career he's not veggie but the committee was all full of vegetarians who had already decided the meat was bad the studies were not showing that the, 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 the decision wasn't unanimous to put that thing out about meat causing cancer. And he said it's total nonsense. He's red meat all the time and, and he advises everybody else to do so and eat as few um, carbs as possible with it. And, and, and he was on the committee, you know, and this is the kind of thing that vegans don't see, like, like the study, that, that, that one of, um, they always quote where they say, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure you and I are completely convinced about this business of greenhouse gases causing <laughs> Global warming <laughs> or climate change, but let's not get into that. Yeah. Whatever's happening, we're wrecking the environment. Yeah. You know? yeah. Whether it's to do with the global warming or whatever is, is another matter entirely. But um, we are wrecking the environment. We're destroying the soil. We're depleting that. All the crops are becoming poisonous. Go. We're fertilizing them now with um, with with with, with uh, petrochemicals, basically, because 
because we can't, we don't have enough cow shit on the ground to bring the soil back. Yep. And so all of this chaos has gone on. And, um, you, you know, if, if you actually look at that study, we, I think it was called um, Livestock's Long Shadow or something, which said that there was like 50% of the, of the greenhouse gas emissions came from burping and farting cows. And, and, and <laughs> you know, that study was retracted soon yeah. after. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, they'd noticed that, that agriculture was causing a whole load more and cars and whatever, obviously, and industry. But but the um, the the actual figures was more like four percent for animal agriculture and for ruminant animals, which is mostly what we carnivores talk about eating because pigs and chickens are not really fed what they're supposed to eat was about two percent. So either way. And if we took them out of those situations and put them back on the land, then that would sort everything out. CO2 would be up there from the plants all the wild animals that are murdered by these uh, these vegan crops you know so the whole thing is such a massive web of illusion and sometimes you can take somebody down one little bit of path of it but but then they get stuck on one thing oh what about this study what about that what yeah, about the yeah. health organization saying everything causes cancer and they've got so much evidence on their side that it's very difficult to break through so I just say, you know, just, uh, just, just, just try it for thirty days. You know, just eat meat for thirty days, see what happens. And really, yeah. whatever you like, then you'll know. But we've always known that it is the reset food of an elimination diet. Like the vegans going, oh well, it's just an elimination diet. Well, yes, it is. It's eliminating all the shite that caused the problem in the first place, <laughs> and then add it back in and see what you can take. You know, sure. and yeah. night. But, but a lot of people don't add it back in. They feel so good. It's so nice not to have to cook all these veg and peel it and everything and have a compost drawer rotting away in the fridge, you know, and all that sort of thing. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a great way to eat. So, but should everybody eat like that? No, do what you like. We're, and we're not militant about it. It's just about, it's just about breaking up the bullshit so we can move on and talk about more interesting things. Than sure, sure. Ribeye steak and quinoa, you know. It's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's it. You know, diet has become that transitionary conversation and there's so much behind it um and you know what what really surprises me having come from a kind of vegetarian mindset of of kind of trying to understand what was going on and then i've spent the last kind of three years studying permaculture and to really start to understand um you know permaculture for those who don't know is is just basically observing natural systems and then trying to mimic them as best as possible so at the moment you know we've completely re reversed all of nature systems we grow our our fruits vegetables um and 90 percent of what we eat is designer veg like like you said phil i mean if you take the wild banana that still exists in papua new guinea uh and and google it for a picture because it's full of huge seeds and the carbohydrate content is somewhere around 16 to 18 percent the bananas that are bred in the supermarket the cavendish um, which is really all we eat now are completely infertile and sterile they are they are self-root sprouting but they've been designed with 80 percent carbohydrates because you know it tastes good and people don't want to pick out loads of seeds and and i think this is one of the main problems of diet and I got into permaculture and got into foraging, and I and I think it's it's a challenge that I would make for anybody, uh, you know, whatever your diet is, go out, get a foraging book, and go out to the woods and try and prepare yourself an entire meal from what you can forage, especially in 
you know, Britain, Northern Europe, um, you know, most of Europe, in fact, uh, you know, I've been recently uh, traveling, as you know, in Mexico, we were there for eight months. Now, things are a bit easier out there, right? There's fruit and there's stuff growing around you. But still, if you were to actually walk in wild forests, this stuff is very far between each other. You know, you might come across one fruiting tree or something that's edible, but really the majority of it isn't. And um, that's been a really interesting thing for me to understand. And especially living in Britain, going out, uh, Jules and I were in Wales a couple of weekends ago and, and we were kind of walking through some forests and stuff. And there were a couple of bilberries around. So we stopped and ate those because they're, you know, wild and growing in the environment they should be. Um, but when you really try and seek out food in its natural environment, it's very difficult to do. And, and I think that it's, would then never, just... You, you, you never get like a, a massive sort of counter like you get at the greengrocers, all this stuff from all no. over the world. Totally unnecessary food totally unnecessary apostrophes as well you know on the signs <laughs> grosser right? and, and then i've got to give a shout out to my my friend paul burkhart or if anybody's listening in england here um <clears throat> or paul george i think he calls himself at the moment on my if somebody looks up my facebook gets it he does bushwhacker tours down south in somerset thereabouts and and he is just such a mine of information about every single plant you could forage and, and see vegetable and everything. He's very cool, very interesting dude. But yeah, I mean, you know, your knowledge of permaculture and stuff is, is way beyond mine. I kind of, that, that kind of dropped out for me. I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. I'll, 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 you know, pop one of your sheep down my throat or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it, is, it is really interesting, as you said, when, when you look at that and when you look at an, a native relationship to food and it, in fact Jules and I were in Canada recently for a couple of months as you know um, we were on Vancouver Island and, and we met this fantastic woman called Nancy Turner who she's going to come on the podcast I'm going to have a chat to her but um, you know I was talking to her about native diet she's she's one of the the top specialist ethnobotanists in native Canadian culture um, you know a lot of people don't know that Canada as we know about the Native American Indians in you know in north america and and the, what now is the usa um but canada has equally uh, the density of of different tribes and cultures that it had uh, and she said that at any time their diet would compromise in the summer of about a maximum of 30 percent plant matter so you know again i i think like you said when you start to look back at really what was going on in the diets of of indigenous populations and sure you have examples in in africa or, or other areas where they have higher plant matter but you know as as we know I, I definitely think that there is a relationship to circadian biology and obviously you know eating what is in season when it's in season and when it's actually present in your environment i think this whole idea of diet one of the big problems that we've got that we need to get rid of is you know is is a banana healthy well no because it didn't exist in nature but even if you found a wild banana and brought it to london in the middle of winter is it healthy well no because it doesn't grow in your environment um it may be if if you're a a tribe in papua new guinea running around with a towel around your bits um you, you know you can probably get away with it because you've been doing it for centuries and you have this uh, incredible relationship with your environment and you're like you said you're in your natural light environment you're eating when it's light going to bed when it's dark 
Um, and there was a really interesting documentary, I'll put it in the show notes, of the Piraha tribe in Brazil. And um, very, very fascinating documentary. They're, they were really the last, up until I think about five years ago, the last living tribe that had been completely isolated from anybody else. Because, And one of the reasons that their language is so complex that um, only three Westerners at that point could actually speak their language in the world. Uh, and, and this guy, this Christian missionary went in and, and sort of went to live with them, learnt their language, ended up renouncing his Christian faith and ended up joining their belief system. Nice. Uh, his wife and, uh, you know, their friend who was there as missionaries left them. And um, it was the most amazing portrayal of, of you know, ancient human behavior where, you know, as soon as he arrived on the beach, they were eating uh, crocodile eggs and, and, you know, literally whatever they could forage around them. But they often went days and days without eating, um, you know, and, and they would eat whatever was around them. They were, um, you know, trying to catch a monkey at one point in the documentary and, and eat him, you know. So I, I think when you when you say, well, what's the ancestral diet? We have to go so far back to really understand what that would actually look like. But like you said, wherever you are in the world, there isn't a single population that were vegan. And, and when you really start to analyze what a lot of these uh, or groups were eating, there was always animal product present and then some seasonal, uh, you know, vegetable and plant matter. But again, that plant matter looks completely different to what we buy in the supermarkets today. And in, in fact, there isn't almost a single thing, probably, you know, one to two percent of everything that you have in a supermarket is even closely related to its, you know, natural ancestors. Yeah, well, you, you know, I mean, if, if you look in, in, in Africa, then you can stay kind of healthy and not have any diagnosed disease on, on, on anything. But, um, you know, if you're living in accordance with, with, with nature there and eating the stuff you find. But I don't know. Who's the coolest tribe in, the, in Africa? I reckon the Maasai are. You know, them. They're, they're on massive amounts of animal products in their diet. I mean, it's not 100 percent, as some people say. But, you know, there's a hell of a lot of blood and milk and, 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 and meat and whatever. And uh there they are, kind of seven foot tall and bringing down lions with their bare hands. And I think, well, you know, they, they, look, they look okay on it. They, they sure. don't, they're, they're not missing their broccoli. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think the, 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 whole, the whole ancestral thing, um, we, we did run on, on, on these fats. We did. And it makes you a lot more, um, a lot more resilient to fasting. You know, if, if you can't find food and, it's, it's easy to look in the bone records and see what we ate. You know, you can tell that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a load of vegetable matter. If you look at uh, Mickey Bendor, M-I-K-I Bendor, and, and he's an Israeli guy, he's a researcher, um, and he's looked into all of this. There's, there's podcasts with him. There's one on the human performance outliers, and, and he's really interesting. Maybe we should have a chat to him. He's cool. Um, and, and he knows exactly what we ate. You know, we, we, we grew up on mammoths and aurochs and stuff, and if you try and be vegan in the wild, it's, it's incredibly difficult. Yeah, I think yeah. there's some funny stories about it. You know, there's a lot of these survival programs where you see the vegans go and they try for a couple of days and then they end up with no shelter because they haven't had time. And, you know, eventually they just go, oh, fuck it, and eat some fish. And, and there was a story about one guy. I, I, I hope it's not an urban myth, but it did amuse me. Um, somebody who actually lives out, out, out there told me about it. Um, but there was a guy who moved out there. He's a vegan. He moved out to like Ecuador or something, I think. 
and and he he decided to grow his own uh, fruit and be some completely self-sufficient all that that dream that people have and <laughs> so anyway he started off with it and then there's there was all this fruit growing and, and he wasn't getting a look in because all the monkeys were nicking it <laughs> and so he had absolutely nothing to eat and eventually he got so sick of this he started killing monkeys and eating them and and he had tremendous health benefits <laughs> I just think it's hilarious. It's just like nature goes, okay, we got a vegan. You know, let's let's show them really what the reality of, of, of nature is. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You don't have a Holland and Barrett near you where you can get all these dried pulses, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 it's interesting because obviously I think as well within the permaculture world, you do have a lot of people who are kind of veggie, you know, vegans talking about, you know, growing your own stuff and, and getting back into that permaculture and, you know, and not to go over what we did earlier, but the fact that, you know, most of those things that they're growing have been engineered anyway, but we stayed on a, a vegan farm in Canada as a bit of an experiment for, for about two and a half weeks. And uh, we were doing some woofing over there, kind of working with different people to get an idea of what they were doing. And I mean, I, I must say, um, one of the things that I will always say that I think vegans have got right is their treatment of animals. Um, I have never in my life seen animals so happy and free as this guy's farm. I mean, they, they were just, uh, he had a menagerie of everything you can possibly imagine and everything was everywhere. They were mixing together that, you know, they were in and out of forest. I mean, it was this beautiful scenery on the side of a mountain in British Columbia. So it was just, you know, stunning to wake up every morning. Um, and he's, girlfriend was you know super strict devout vegan he was kind of transitioning into veganism i think he you know might have had the odd bit of goat's milk or something every now and again so i'd have heard of milking goats that um the milk was just sitting and going rancid and then we were feeding it to the pigs um and that's not vegan that's ingesting <laughs> <goat> <laughs> uh, and you know what what was really funny was that you'd really if ever i was to take somebody to an environment that was what most permaculturists or alternative people would say this is the ideal environment the guy lived on the side of a mountain in a, a log cabin out in nature every single day out in the elements um you know they were growing all of their own vegetables there wasn't a single thing apart from i think a bit of peanut butter and a few other things they had in the cupboards that they hadn't made but they were both really really ill uh, and and Chris was completely sort of un, unstable in in a lot of ways, um, and you know we had all of these kind of arguments and issues and stuff, and the farm was kind of in chaos, and you could see there was a lot of brain fog there and stuff going on, and um, you know his his wife uh, was recently pregnant and uh, she'd been vegan for eight years, and you know th there was just a lot of stuff going on, and and I just thought that well if this is the ideal diet. And they were in the ideal environment and they were eating seasonally because, you know, let's face it, everything that was in the ground, they had a tiny little greenhouse that they did a few little bits in and they were doing some microgreens for restaurants, but everything else was growing seasonally. So therefore, if that was the be all and end all of diet, that all you had to do was, you know, eat vegan and eat in season and grow it all yourself, then they'd have been the healthiest people on the planet. Um, but that was not the case at all and, and really interestingly Jules and I ended up obviously eating vegan for, for a couple of weeks and we kind of said oh you know it's two weeks we're not going to have any problems and within 
like two, three days, we immediately started seeing really bad problems. My arthritis started to flare up. I haven't had a flare up since I don't know when, you know, four or five years ago, um, immediately started to come back. We were struggling to get out of bed every morning, no energy on the farm, obviously, you know, doing really physical work. It was just really fascinating to see that. So I, so I think that's something that, you know, anybody, you know, and we've, we've both been there. We've both been down that kind of tunnel of self-exploration and going into kind of vegan and vegetarianism. But, but I think, you know, it's almost a challenge You say, well, okay, try it, grow your own stuff, grow it in your back garden, uh, go out and forage in the woods, see what you can collect uh, and try and stay vegan and, and, you know, see, see how you feel because, you know, going to a supermarket and buying stuff that's imported from all around the world and has been bred for our consumption over the last 50 years, um, you know, we're talking about the most natural diet for humans. Well, immediately that's not natural. Whatever diet you're on, whether it's eating meat, whether it's paleo, keto, veganism, um, if you're talking about getting back to an ancestral point of view, then then try and experiment. Uh, you know, try and grow ancestral varieties from the country that you're in, or go out and forage. Um, and you'll find it's incredibly difficult to do. I, I tried to for a little while when we were veggie, and um, we went out into the woods in the end of summer, which is when all of the forage material is out there. Uh, um, you know, two or three times we physically couldn't produce enough stuff to eat by, you know, by spending six or seven hours in the woods desperately trying to find things to eat. So it's like, it's an open challenge. Go go out and see if you can give it a go. Yeah, yeah. You've got to spear something eventually, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah. I think... You know what? I, what I've noticed is is particularly on this, this the Facebook group I've got. You know that sort of it was so funny just starting it for like ten people back in January, and then there's I think there's like just under seven thousand now, and there's World Carnival wow. Tribe in the twenty thousands. Yeah, you know, yeah. these things exploded really. Um, what I noticed a lot was people coming actually from the keto thing, you know, and just giving up those last few plants, and and experiencing benefits that they couldn't believe. Now, I've had this as well. The difference between dropping out the last bit of broccoli and stuff was was really quite spectacular. What I know that you've been keto and you've done, so you've, you've sort of been experimenting with full carnivore and stuff. How have you felt, particularly in, in, the, in, the, in the area of like um, sort of mood and mind and clarity and things like that? What did you notice with keto particularly and over veggie and, and, and then carnivore and stuff with, with mental issues. Well, I, I think keto was my first real wake up because I, uh, I kind of went into it, like I said, thinking that, well, you know, I've got nothing to lose. So I'm going to give it a go. Um, I, I've always been quite kind of disciplined with myself when, when doing things. And so I just went completely keto. Uh, and in fact, for 18 months, I was seriously... Uh, militant obsessive about weighing all my macros which was a real pain in the ass but um immediately and, and it was kind of a switch came on i would say which is what everyone talks about that kind of two-week period i felt keto flu for a couple of days which i just think back then i didn't really know what i was doing and i didn't balance any of my electrolytes or anything like that um so I, I was trying to eat 70 to 80 percent fat, um, you know, moderate protein. And, and then I was kind of giving myself about 20 grams of carbs a day maximum. And then I kind of went down to about 10. Um, but immediately mental clarity was just through the roof. 
energy was through the roof. Um, and I, I think after a couple of weeks of, of being keto, once I'd adapted, I remember waking up at like six o'clock in the morning at sunrise in the summer and going out for a run um, just because I had so much energy, I didn't know what else to do. And and that's the first time in my life that that ever happened. I mean, bearing in mind, you know, I ran a chocolate company for 10 years. Uh, I was a pretty portly uh, young guy at that point, And I was living off a mix between like sugar, caffeine and bread. That that was my staple diet for, for you know, six years while we had the factory. And so to go from that to keto was just such an extreme. Uh, it, it was just unreal but then obviously everything else started to come together my my weight uh you know everything else but the the really interesting thing and I, and I think what almost got me to experimenting with veggie was that actually for the first time in my life I was thinking about philosophical questions because I almost had this mental capacity above what I had before to contemplate things whereas before <clears throat> I like struggled through the day to get to the end and then go to bed and wake up and do it all over again. Whereas I think once I went keto, I seemed to have this extra gear, which I never knew existed. And so when, when I went into that gear, I could start to think about all of these things and about life and diet and nutrition. And it, it kind of spun me off. And obviously I found Jack's work. And then really Tristan was the first one that I, I found before anyone else. And of course he interviewed Jack. That's how I found him. And, um, Tristan Haggard, which I'll, I'll link down in the show notes of Primal Edge Health. Um, he was my first online coach, if, if you like, into the world of keto and kind of navigating all of this stuff. Um, but you know, what I found really interesting was that keto was a bit of a challenge for me. Um, <clears throat> I, I really struggled with keeping up the diet, especially towards the end of the two years I would eat because I knew that I had to. And I, I was doing stuff at the end where I was, to get my fats in, I was actually drinking liquid fat smoothies. So I would empty a pot of like double cream into a shake with some peanut butter and macadamia nuts. And, and I was doing like, you know, 100 gram, 200 gram uh, fat smoothies just to get it in because I, I'd got kind of so sick of such a, a basic diet. And, and I think, you know, struggling to cram all of this fat in um, was difficult. You know, I, I was like drinking shots of uh, olive oil and stuff towards the end, just just to just to put my fat levels up. And it, and it was weird because I felt incredible. But, you know, it was a bit of a chore. So for me, you know, experimenting with, um, you know, carnivore, and, and, and I'd say I'm not probably 100% um, if I see something out in the wild, like there's bilberries, I'm going to stop and eat them if they're in the environment that they're in. Um, and, you know, wild blackberries and, and things like that. But pretty much apart from that, unless I can forage it or it's grown in Britain, I really try and avoid it. And I, I personally can't believe the results because it's kind of taken away all of the pain that I used to get with keto. I don't have to track my macros anymore. I'm just kind of eating and I feel probably even better than I did when I was keto. My digestion certainly feels better than it did when I was keto, even though it was a huge leap from what I had before. Um, so I, I, I think that the interesting thing about it, it sounds completely mental when you talk to somebody about it, but I think that's when, when you start to pick back the surface 
Uh, and let's face it, in certainly in Britain, uh, if we're talking specifically, right now, we're, you know, in, in the middle of winter, we would have had nothing else to eat really other than animal products. There, there is nothing, there's a, you know, a couple of species that you could probably forage now, um, but that's it. So we would have been forced to either be carnivore if we're going far enough back or probably if we weren't, we would be eating a few preserved and salted and fermented stuff that we'd have had from late summer and we would have, you know, soaked in vinegar or fermented just so it, you know, lasted through the winter a little bit. Yeah, there was no sort of nipping down to Greg's for a past. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And and actually, I was, I was watching a, a couple of YouTube videos recently uh, of a couple of historians talking about uh, ancient British food. And they were talking about food in the Middle Ages. And it was really interesting because I think that the idea, and, and we've all maybe had this in school, the idea of what peasants ate or knights or or dukes and and they kind of went through all these different plates uh, and actually although although the peasants were eating bread it was uh low risen milled bread made from rye and uh, spelt flours so even then you know it it wasn't wheat uh, it certainly wasn't the bread that we would know today these were ancestral grains that often the, the doughs were kind of self-fermented. They were left for long periods of time. So it's what we kind of call trendy now, you know, sourdough. Um, so even when they were consuming breads and grains, they were in, I think, much smaller quantities than we think they were. And and actually, you know, they, they put this lovely dish out, which would have been a, a peasant's dinner, uh, and they had a massive piece of salmon on it. And they were saying that actually in the Middle Ages, salmon was very very plentiful you know around britain and actually it was a peasant food it was incredibly cheap to have um they'd eat eggs and cheese and things like that and then of course when they went up to the duke's plate he had you know two or three massive pieces of meat um he didn't actually have any bread himself because he would have bread on his plate but he would give it as charity to the servants and um you know, so I, I, I think this is it. Again, if, if you just cut back a few layers um, and really start to look at what what we were really eating, we've introduced 80 to 90 percent of all of this stuff that we see in the supermarkets in the last sort of, you know, 100 or so years. And also really since the 16th, 17th century and all this kind of trade that we've been doing, um, we've suddenly started to bring in for the first time in human history all of these foreign foods. Um, and I think that has been one of the biggest mistakes that humans have made. Uh, and I think maybe that's something that we can transition across from diet into everything else. Because, again, it, it's it's about, you know, eating what's around you when it's around you. Yeah, you know, light bulbs, shoes, central heating. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, there's so much. But the, the weird thing about everything that's happening now is that you can actually explain it to somebody in five minutes, even pretty much what to do from Jack stuff. You, you know, you can, you, can, you can sit somebody down and say, eat seasonally, eat locally, get your feet on the ground, get natural light in your eyes, you know, get, turn off all devices at night, put some candles on, sleep properly. And, um, you know, don't be frightened of fats and 
if you've got a disease to, to reverse, possibly think about going fully carnivore. Yeah. Now somebody's just going to go, yeah, oh, look, he's Googled some weird website. He's come up with this. What they don't realize is that there's most people who've come to this lunatic, dangerous, carcinogenic, artery-clogging uh, diet of carnivory <laughs> has, has come there through so much study and so much deprogramming and so many different diets that have hurt them in some way or another. You know, and then you get somebody arguing with you, you know, constantly. I, I get it on the YouTube channel. I've got one at the moment who's at me. He's like, I, I just, if they're really shouty vegans and they start off in capitals, you know, swearing at you and saying you should be murdered, and I'll, I'll, I'll block them. But, you know, sometimes they come up with something reasonably intelligent. If it's not a busy day, you go, all right, I'll give them an answer. And then I'm terrible, you know, I'm a polite Englishman. I get sucked in for <laughs> But and on and on and on and on and on it goes. And you can you think this is gonna be ace. Because when I was like that, if somebody had come to me with this kind of information that I hadn't heard before, I would have gone, wow. And I wouldn't have said another word till I'd have looked it up. Mm. I think what people are lacking is is this sense of uh, of wonder and inquisitiveness and how we don't understand anything about the planet. You know, I was always fascinated in that, even if I wanted to look into it, say, let's look how much crap this is so I can debunk it for them. But if it wasn't and it was fascinating, I'd still look at it. And that's how I got to it, by throwing out all the old ideas. You know, people go, oh, you're obsessed with carnivory. You're just down this one track. You're trying to persuade it. It's nothing like that. It's the fact that I've sort of exhausted all other measures and I'm looking for other measures. Now, yeah, if I can yeah. find something better than carnivory, but... I'm looking mostly into other areas. You know, I, I can't really see where else I've got to go on diet. But, you know, like Jack says, stop talking about diet and start talking about light because everything else falls into place. If people stop studying diet and look at anthropology and circadian biology and, uh, and deuterium, you know, and all of these other things, you go, oh, hang on a minute. We've clearly been going down the wrong road for 100 years or more. Yeah. And we've got fabricated all this nonsense and we think that we're the master species and we have absolutely no idea what we're supposed to eat. There is no other animal that argues about what they're supposed to eat <laughs> except the human. You just dogs know. You give them something, they'll, they'll eat it. You give them something else, yeah. they won't eat it because they like it or they don't like it. And then you sure. get this ridiculous vegan argument where they're making all of these fake meats. Mm. Because they're missing them. Nobody in the carnivore movement is making broccoli out of steak. Yeah. Nobody. And and then they say, ah, well, what you're doing is is you're 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 creating all you you're being so cruel and being so heartless just so that you can satisfy your sensory desires. Well, why the fuck do we have these sensory desires? It's because our bodies are trying to tell us something. You know, like, how have we become so disconnected? Sure. Why sure. can't we just why can't we just go? Let's forget all of our preconceptions. What does our body actually want to eat? Okay, get rid of all the processed food because everybody then wants to run straight to Pizza Hut and more McDonald's and have milkshakes and Haagen-Dazs. Okay, let's get that out. Let's say, you know, what's in the environment now? What's locally, you know, and let, let it die down for a month so you're not so obsessed with everything else, all the crap that you used to eat, all the chips and fries and whatever. So what's there? What do you actually desire? What does your body want? And then how does that change day to day and listening to these subtler messages? And, and you find that whatever your body's telling you, you know, it's, it's, I used to do the same, counting these calories and counting macros and stuff like that. 
well, hello, how does my body feel? What is it hungry? Yeah. Oh, well, it then. And why not stop when it's no longer hungry? Yeah. And wait until it's hungry again and feed it again. And doing that, even with the odd slip up that I have, I don't have really sort of uh, like vegetable and fruit slip ups. I don't. Well, I don't have any. But but I, you know, I'll have a I'll have a bunch of red wine, too much of it, quite often. And yet, it doesn't really do very much in 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 the scheme of things. Like when I when I used to be completely teetotal, I was always overweight. Anything I ate would throw another five pounds on. Now I'm 56. I have a completely flat stomach. I, I, I don't I, I maintain my weight effortlessly. I don't have to think about it. I'm never hungry. And, at, you know, I, well, when I say hungry, I mean, I mean, that sort of permanent hunger of, oh, I'm on a diet and I've got to, you know, this, this is just messing about with leptin and stuff. And you're going to get in terrible trouble with it. And everybody puts it back. And they found it. I heard about a study on rats uh, a couple of days ago where they got them down to a, to a reasonable weight and then they fed them up, you know, to this hideous weight. And then they dieted them back down again. And it was much more difficult. Oh, it's much easier to put the weight on the second time around and much more difficult to get it off the mm. second time. around. And this is all how the body will, will adapt to sort of starvation situations. If you're starving it and refeeding it, it goes, we've got to hang on to the fat as much as possible. And so, you know, it, all these people who go down to Weight Watchers and then they lose five stone. Yeah. yeah. Seven, you know, they'll put seven on it. It's, it's a complete way to, oh, well, I've lost the weight. Yeah, but what else did you lose? Muscle, did you lose bone density, you know? Sure, sure. Are you missing mitochondria about? This is what these things are. You know, we're so obsessed with how we look and whatever. Yeah, yeah. We don't look at mitochondrial health, listen to the signals from our bodies. And when you do that, then the weight just sorts itself out. Sure, sure. I, I get, there is no way I could eat what, what I eat now. I could overeat it enough yeah. to put weight on. It yeah. just doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's the really interesting thing that even with keto I found was the big thing is that you just can't overeat on meat or most animal products. Maybe cheese, you know, is an exception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but with um, with meat, you know, it's like, OK, we'll sit down and try and eat an entire, you know, wedge of bacon, uh, you know, a, a half a pound or something. It It's physically impossible. You know, once you've got through sort of six or seven rashes, I remember doing this when I was keto the first time and I got told that I could have as much bacon as I wanted. And I must have cooked, you know, 15 or 20 rashes all at once because I got all excited. And I got through six, five or six and went, oh, my God, I'm full. I can't eat anymore. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Oh, you can squeeze a few more in if you cover them in runny egg yolks. <laughs> Just, it's like nature's mayo. It's, it's... <laughs> But the good thing, I mean, even if you do kind of push it and overeat, there's never, never that feeling of of, uh, of, of just horrendous bloating after eating. I remember we used to go to this um, this restaurant in, in, in Manchester called Nawab, and it's great. You know, all the, all the Indians go there, and it's chaos, and the kids are running around, great big tables, and they have these big Indian weddings there. There's usually a sort of white Rolls Royce or Maserati outside, and somebody playing Dolak or something. It's, it's a great, great place. And, and they have these sort of placemats proudly stating that they cook in healthy vegetable oil, which, <laughs> which is a shame. If I wrote to them once saying, please, just use some ghee, you know, are there, are there yeah. any, anything else? And we used to go there and eat all the rice and breads and all that kind of thing. 
and and I went. Uh, I mean, you know Detta. You're you're like part of my family, Louis. So you you've been here loads, and you know the family, and you know Detta. And we used to go down there and eat all the breads and rices and uh, and all that kind of thing. And we you get in a car and you'd be kind of putting the seatbelt on and you're just going. Yeah. There was all the classic one. I'm never eating another <laughs> thing. Not ever again. I'm never eating. And Detta's going. Yeah, I've heard that before. And you're there like I can't wait to get to the toilet. You know, like packed throat to anus. <laughs> <laughs> you're just horrified by how you feel and then it takes the whole evening to recover yeah, but yeah. because it's carbs you've had you probably end up having a load of hagerdas in the evening just because you can still fit it in this hyper palate yeah, sure sure but, but then i started on, on this lower carb thing you know uh at a time when Detta was still eating the that that stuff the the, the sort of higher carb side of things and We'd go to Nawab, and I would completely fill myself up. I'd go up again and again and have all these curries, and and but none of the rice, none of anything. I mean, it still wasn't ideal. It's vegetable oils didn't do it much. I haven't done it for a while actually, but but uh, I think the vegetable oil thing kind of scared me off in the end. It still sits pretty badly. Um, but you know, up to like three years ago, we'd go pretty pretty regularly in the keto days, and and. And when I kind of transitioned, I, I'd be stuffing my face, and then and then we get in the car, and debt is kind of, you know, and I, I'm going, no problem. Yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. myself up to absolute busting capacity, but there was none of that bloating. I was thinking, this isn't a matter of volume. Yeah, yeah. This, this is a matter of what you've put in there and how much your 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 gut is just going. What the fuck was that? This is not food. You know, at least it's food. It's going, okay, right, I've had enough. No more, mate. Sure, sure. I can deal with this. But, but you know, when it when it was all the rice and breads and stuff, a completely different experience. Yeah. But but I think this is a, a, a mammalian kind of evolutionary trigger that we do have. And I, and I think this is one of the problems that we've got when, you know, really understanding and, and I think understanding yourself and, and your preferences and real hunger is that um, we're triggered as mammals to overeat on sugar because when you look at nature and you look at I mean, you know take bears as an example when a bear finds a blueberry bush in canada or alaska they will sit there until the, the bush is picked dry because they only grow for a certain season uh, and therefore they gorge on them and it and it's a trigger because obviously you know going way back into the past we had to eat in the summer what we could get because then in the winter, if you went, you know, sometimes a week without any food at all, you had to survive. So actually, it's another thing that humans are reverse. We're all trying to get trim and slim for the summer and then we put weight on in in the winter and we've actually reversed the natural system where we were supposed to, if at all, overeat perhaps in, in spring, summer and autumn, preparing for the harsh winters. And and so I th I think that's that's a big thing is understanding that trigger now you know again looking at diabetes as as this kind of modern disease um, bears are diabetic when they go into hibernation so it, again it's an evolutionary trigger to cause the body to put on massive amounts of body fat in a very short space of time to load the body up but then of course when they're fasting and hibernating through the winter. They come out the other side in ketosis and they've kind of reversed their insulin sensitivity again. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, again, yeah. nature always has the answer. It's just looking in the right place and understanding it. And I think this is where 
we have got this issue where we're all, and I still probably have the remnants of my sugar addiction from, you know, being a chocolatier for, for over a decade. Um, I still, you know, in my mind, I'm still going for that dopamine release. Uh, and occasionally now, I guess when I buy dark chocolate, 70% tastes like milk chocolate. It's, it's amazing. I have a couple of squares and that's me done yeah, because yeah. I've kind of completely reset my taste buds. And yeah. um, uh, we were out for my birthday a, a little while ago and I had a couple of sips of a ginger beer. I hadn't had one for a long time. And I only managed half a glass because it was so overpoweringly sweet that I just couldn't physically drink it. So I, I, I think this is something that, you know, to, to kind of try and start to pull away from diet, I think one of the the best things that people can do is kind of fast because that is your first realization of what is real hunger um i don't need to eat every minute of every day or even every day and to get back to that kind of pattern of we were supposed to eat in larger quantities and then go without food for periods of time that's how all mammals are built generally and so so you know when you look at let's look at vegan animals you know if, if you look at a cow or a sheep i was down in wales last weekend and we were staring out into the field and from the second the sun comes up the sheep are eating grass to the minute it goes down and in fact if you go out at night you can often hear them eating in the middle of the night you can still hear their jaws going so there's another idea about if we want to eat you know plant matter all the time look at the animals that do and then look at their eating habits they sit around all day desperately trying to get in, you know, the, the, the nutrients that they need from the plant matters. Um, whereas, you know, it, it, as, as humans, I think we, like other omnivorous mammals, we were kind of built with this innate ability to be able to eat large amounts, eat a relatively wide variety of diet and survive in any condition. Whether, you know, whether it was the extreme arctics, or the extreme heats of of the you know Ecuadorian environments, you know it's it's uh, I I think that's part of it. So that's a big thing to understand is where are these triggers coming from? And the problem is when we have so much temptation now, all around us all the time, it's so difficult to navigate that because your your you know your reptile brain is telling you desperately to eat sugar because you know if, if this was ten thousand years ago and you'd come across a honey hive. Um, as there's a couple of documentaries of, uh, you know, wild tribes in Brazil and, and various other places hunting for honey, you know, and they a couple of times a year they climb up into these trees and, you know, they, they bash them out, they run around and they're all getting stung and because it's okay because they're so desperate to get their hands on just a bit of, you know, a little bit of honey. But then you probably wouldn't have come across another one for another year. Oh, yeah. Whereas now it's absolutely everywhere. I mean, it's people say, well, how do you, I know I'm hungry for this? Time? It's, it's really simple. If, if, you're, if you're really hungry for whatever is actually food, you know, the longer you go without eating, the more you're hungry for something that is actually food, that is really nutrient dense. Some people might not. You see, I don't really like sardines that much or, or, or certain types of fish, but I eat them because I know that it's, uh, I know it's kind of it's medicine, you know, oysters and stuff. But if I eat steak, then there's some oysters. I go, I'll forget it. So what I, I eat them at the beginning of the meal, you know, because <laughs> and I, I just think, well, there, there we go. I'll down a few oysters today. My body feels like it needs them. And you get those subtle signals. But if, if you're hungry for something, you know, if a steak looks good, you're hungry. 
and if Hagen Das looks good, then you're probably not hungry. It's it's an addiction. And so, you know, um, it, it's it's easy to after a while, those things kind of uh, those those desires disappear, you know, as you've eaten more and more of that nutrient dense food, those, those, those crazy desires all the time. We all have them now and again, you know, but. When you see somebody on a completely plant-based diet, it's interesting because, like you say, the cows and the sheep, and they have to chew all the time. Um, somebody brought this uh, vegan families film to my attention, you know, or, or their, their uh, YouTube channel or whatever. And there was one episode where the girl, you know, the mum, she's having terrible, uh, she's having a load of health issues, but she'd gone out shopping or something, and then, and then she couldn't find anything to eat, and then she's panicking. And she'd only eaten, she, you know, earlier in the day, she'd done some kind of recipe thing where they're doing this smoothie and, and all this sort of crap. And she's driven down the shops. By the time she gets to the shop, she's, she's crazy for food. She's going, oh, I'm going to have blood sugars. Oh, I, I can't think. I've got to get home. They're actually filming this stuff. I'm like, really? Yeah. That happened to you? Would you actually really film it? And then she got home. Husband hadn't made her food. She went mad. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, come on, man. I mean, I did, nothing happens to me if I don't eat. Yeah, sure. What we we're, we're on eleven o'clock. I got a leg of lamb in the oven, and and I'll probably eat once today. And and my time is probably going to go off in a minute and make a racket. So it's red, <laughs> you know. Uh, but but I I haven't eaten today, and and I won't um I, I won't go. Louis, I've got to eat. You know, the damn thing can sit on the side for a bit. I don't care. In fact, I might not eat it for another hour. It's you don't have any problem. You just think, oh, I'm hungry. A ah, leg of lamb would be really nice. Let's sit down and put a bit of bone broth on that with a bunch of butter in it and have a gravy with it. And oh, that's going to be nice. It's a, yeah, it's a lamb day today. Uh, so usually it's a beef day. You've got some short ribs in there. Oh, that's so good. Oh, Turn slowly <laughs> from this local farm. And they're so cheap. You know, you get all these beautiful fatty cuts of beef that are so cheap. People say it's expensive. Yeah, if you eat ribeye steak and fillet steak all the time, but, but 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 people have put this weird price on different parts of the animal, usually the least nutritious bit. Yeah, sure. You get, so you get these short ribs, you know, and you do them slowly. Oh, my God, they're great. And even, you know, the odd sort of raw bit of mince and raw steaks creeping in as I'm starting to experiment. And it's not revolting at all. It's absolutely fine. So, you know, I, I think, I think you know, that vegan film really showed. And they're actually putting it out there. They're actually publishing that on their channel mm. to me it's like a, a massive warning against what's going what's going on the body is desperate for nutrients however much you eat it doesn't fit it, it, it to start you know when people eat keto when they eat carnivore they say oh, oh I'm, I'm not eating enough like i can't be eating enough oh it's yeah. all restriction that's doing the good well the calorie is so nutrient dense that your body is just beautifully satisfied after it it knows it's had all that stuff but if you're if you're piling in, you know, the, the, the black beans and quinoa and stuff, there's not really a lot in it. And it's and, and so it wants more and more and more and more. They're just they're just freaking out. And all the time they're wasting away. They're eating all that stuff and they're yeah, wasting away. Yeah, sure, sure. It's, it's very strange. You can see that it's not our, our, our ancestral diet. So I can, you know, I go out and I'll play a gig at night and, and, and the other guys are going, oh, I, you know, I'm pretty hungry. And I mean, it's, it's rare I'm hungry. And even if I am, I just go, what the hell, you know, tomorrow will do. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have a drop in energy or anything. You're just hungry. Yeah. People think what hungry means, and, and hungry isn't so such a mad thing, you know, like it was when you're running on carbs. But it's okay. It's great to be hungry. In fact, it feels pretty good. It's actually quite a nice feeling. You go, oh, I'll push it another couple of hours, because you get that sort of lightness and clarity, and, yeah. and yeah. nothing wrong with hunger, you know. 
starvation there is, but not hunger. And you know, you know, if you've had a, a good whack of, of, of fatty steak and liver within three days, you're not in starvation mode for another few days. So you know, stop whinging. <laughs> Because you, you did some pretty long fast, didn't you, Phil? And I, I know when you were kind of first getting into all of this. Yeah, I, I did it. Um, I, I did them just because to get out of pain. Yeah. You know, and it yeah. was at the time where I'd lost most of my muscle. And so it was wasting me away, but I couldn't resist it. So I do three days quite a lot, five days quite a few times. I think 11 was the most I did as a water fast. I never did one of the big 40 day ones. If I'd have cottoned onto it quicker, I probably would have done, actually. If I'd done it when I actually had some reserves on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it felt great for five, six, seven days after the first three. But then on, like, you're getting towards the 10th and 11th day, I start to feel a bit weird. And so you stop. But then the food that you're putting back in is causing the inflammation anyway. So I just knew it was going to happen. I knew as soon as I ate this, the inflammation was going to come back. So it was, you know, you're putting it off. Now I don't really feel the need to it. I did do a day's dry fasting the other day just to figure out, just because I hadn't done it and I wanted to find out. But it, And it was interesting, actually. <clears throat> but, but you know, people, I have this thing about water, too. I mean, you know, you and I have been looking into this whole deuterium thing. It's so fascinating about how the deuterium levels in the body and the water being high deuterium, all the carby foods being high deuterium, and it might be really one of the big clues as to why the cells aren't... Um, clearing themselves out, you know, and people are not getting good um, autophagy and apoptosis and whatever. And so you get you get the, the, the this idea that it's beautiful, I think, that saturated fat allows the cells to create its own deuterium-depleted water. So you're hydrating like a camel, you know, and you're hydrating the cells by eating a load of fat. And, and people find that they drink a lot less when they when they don't eat the, 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 the carby foods. So you're creating your own water in the cells. It's almost miraculous. So, um, you know, I think that even the dry fast where one day is supposed to be as, um, as, as beneficial as three days on a water fast. And you can see this might also be coming down to the deuterium thing as well, where the body's naturally designed to deplete deuterium. And if you're not putting in a load of deuterium filled water, then, then it's, it's being able to deplete it well. And you can go on without, without water for a lot longer than you actually think. The body does create its own water. And if you're eating a lot of saturated fat, it helps it to do that. You know, Laszlo Boros is fantastic. If we we got on the subject of deuterium, maybe maybe link in the show notes a couple of his Yeah, talk. sure. Because I, I think it, it is it is a a very complex thing to kind of talk about. And and you know, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm still. But, but I mean, the upshot of it is, he says that not only we're we eating high deuterium foods, but we're drinking way too much. All this business, you know, about another myth that we should be drinking a whole load of water every day. Mm. We have thirst. Drink when you're thirsty. Yeah. If you're eating the diet, you're going to be more thirsty. You're going to be more thirsty if you up a load of salt. You know, if I have yeah. a really salty, meaty meal, about an hour later, I'll be drinking a ton of water. Sure, but then sure. I will, yeah. you know, I'll get, I, I'm just thinking I haven't drunk anything today. You know, I don't wake up in the morning and drink a load of water like I yeah. used to. It's yeah, yeah. I've been up for six hours now. I haven't drunk anything. And and I have, I'm not, have no thirst at all. Well, I, Does this mean I'm, I'm underhydrated? No. Laszlo is actually doing courses now for called Washing Away Your Health and showing people how they're actually ruining their health by drinking way too much water wow. because it's filling the body with, with deuterium-filled water and not allowing the body to deplete its own, its own reserves and, and create its own deuterium-depleted water. So, you know, if people aren't understanding deuterium, it's just, just good water in the body sure, when most sure, water sure. is crap. You know, and, and, and the mitochondria are there to produce water. That's their main function. So, so we're stopping them doing that by kind of 
hosing them down. It's like drinking out of a fire hose, you know, for the for, on a cellular level, and it's not working. It's fascinating, you know, and 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 when it comes down to it, live seasonally and 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 listen to your hunger and listen to your thirst, and then it's really that simple. Sure, and then sure. come down to all of this study brings us down to what every rat, every polar bear, every lion, everybody knows. We go, we're the master race. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane that one that jack said we're the only species bright enough to invent artificial light and the only one stupid enough to live under it. <laughs> yeah absolutely and I, and I think like you say even coming down to water you know um even before you get into the deuterium stuff you know i, I remember years ago uh, you know, drinking tap water and going to the gym and drinking, you know, water out the fountains. And I would just have to drink gallons and gallons and gallons to, to just kind of stop my thirst. Um, and then I think even when you're switching to better water, spring water or, you know, whatever it might be, um, you know, and you look at Gerard Pollock's research and about structuring water and everything even yeah. that alone i think changes things but I, but i think again thinking about um you know our ancestry it's always occurred to me that a couple of things one we would have had relatively small access to water and unless you actually lived by a, a you know river valley which uh, you know it's kind of where some of our human civilization started out um but you would have only had access to the water where some of our human civilization started out um but you would have only had access to the water it periodically it wouldn't have been something that you know like now you can go and turn it on a tap or you can buy spring water and pull it out the fridge whenever you want there was a kind of effort associated with water consumption so again it was probably a case of you'd drink a load fill up uh, uh, you know an animal skin or a gourd or something carry it around with you but then that would have been it. it it wouldn't have been the sort of thing that you could have you know oh you need to drink four liters a day well you know how how would you even carried four liters around with you exactly i mean some of some of these african guys you know these these bushmen the african tribes they 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 go out there with no water yeah they go out there for ages you know in the blazing sun tracking it's, animals yeah. and then they're not as panicked about it as we are <laughs> squeeze a bit out of some root or some cactus or something yeah, yeah. yeah. or they've just eaten a fatty enough diet with enough saturated fat their body's producing all of this deuterium depleted water and it, it, exactly as it should do in the sure. cells sure. so they don't get as dehydrated as some um you know sweaty westerner who's the northerner <laughs> rather is, is more accurate is he's come down and isn't adapted to that environment and they'll they'll be dehydrating while they're probably sort of twice the body weight and holding twice the water of this uh this skinny tribesman next to them it's uh, it's fascinating yeah sure and it, i mean so to to go back so uh, you know we've kind of touched on the diet aspects of things and obviously health and um but what about the ethics you know because obviously that one of the big questions that we have around eating more meat is an ethical one uh you know what what's your opinion on that you know i mean the short answer is something dies for us to eat and 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 this is nature now i don't have any problem with death i really don't i just i, I as long as it's a quick death but we, we're equipped to do that lions aren't you know what would you rather get a bolt gun in the head or get ripped to bits by by several lions <laughs> and, and then sort of half make an escape with a leg hanging off and then 
you know, that, that's not to say it's good. They're equipped with the tools they're equipped with to, 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 to kill these animals. But um, I think actually nature has certain things, like people who've, who've been in those situations where they've been mauled by bears or attacked by lions. I remember some, some tale about it where there was almost this, he said that there was something that kicked in where there was almost a complete um, calm acceptance of it. You know, there wasn't the absolute screaming terror. There is okay when you've got a chance of getting away because the adrenaline's there. But when it's inevitable, when, you know, your guts are ripped out and they're, they're lying on the floor next to you, there, there's almost something that kicks in, some inevitability and, and this calm that nature knows that the, the, the creatures are going to be ripped to bits all the time. And so nature's actually pretty cool and takes care of it itself. But okay, that's nature. And so vegans are going, well, you're not a lion and you can't bring things down with your teeth and all of that. Well, no, we're adapted to meat because we've had tools. Uh, and we'll always say to vegans, well, you know, do you dig all your root vegetables up with your snout? <laughs> you know, it, 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 we've, we've had tools for long enough to get around that. We are adapted to meat. We live beautifully on it. You know, if people say that you can't eat meat, I would have been dead by sc from scurvy by now or something else, or I'd have exploded with the horrendous constipation that I was going to get. So you know, we, we're exactly the opposite. It's just perfect. So, so you know, obviously it, our bodies are dealing with it great. If you give some, if you give a gorilla steak all day long, it's not going to last long because it is designed to eat plants. Uh, but we thrive on it. So everything's fine. So you've got to say, okay, this is our ancestral diet. This is what we eat. Now, how can we get away with 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 being being more ethical about it? Um, well. I think a lot of the a lot of the propaganda that's come from vegan films, you know, they'll film the cows when they're being fed in the CAFOs. They'll they'll film them right in the corner when they're being fed and they're all squashed in. They don't pan around to show it's actually a pretty big enclosure. They're only this is something I've only learned recently from Sean Baker's thing, having all these environmental scientists on, a very interesting and agricultural scientists and people in the animal industry who and they're saying you you have no idea how much these farmers care for these animals. And most of the, their life, even the ones that are supposed to be, oh, these dreadful grain-fed animals, they're, they're on pasture most of their life. It's not uh, the, the, the case that they're crammed in everywhere. You know, chickens and pigs, different, okay? Yeah, you know, yeah, sure. Out there, there's some disgraceful treatment, and that's probably why they're still pretty inflammatory meat. So they're, they're treated horrendously, and carnivores are totally aware of this, and they'd love to see something done about it, and they'd love to team up with the vegans and do that. Trouble is, if we teamed up with the vegans, the vegans would start spearing us before we even got onto the premises to sort anything out. <laughs> so so it, it's a bit of a waste of time. But, but you know, with, with the ruminant animals, they, they are on grass a lot more than we think they are. Um, and when you actually see them, you see films of them being not the crazy ones. Obviously, you know, there's like old folks' homes. There's people get abused in old folks' homes and some yeah, are absolutely yeah. wonderful. Sure. It's, it's the same with all these farms. If you have, you know, and, and, and abattoirs and stuff. I mean, they've even been designing. There was one woman who was designing like a, a zigzag corridor where they went down to, to be slaughtered so they didn't see anything. I mean, they're even thinking stuff like that. They're not like the brutal savages we think they are. So and, and there's other films where they're, they're actually killing them in the fields or whatever. And, and, and you know, there's, there's other cows just grazing. They go, oh, there's all this horrendous adrenaline gets into the meat and they're so scared and all that. Cow drops dead. They're, 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 it's mate next to it, to it doesn't even stop eating. They're not interested. You know, it's not the horror that we think it is. And, and things have got to die for us to eat. And I'm completely convinced that um, that that my diet kills a lot less than, than, than a vegan diet does. Because, you know, 
You've got, there's a beautiful video. It's, if you look it up, it's about a minute long. It's of, of Ted Nugent, the guitarist, who, who is just always tremendously outspoken. And he's quite interesting. He looks really well for like seven years old. You check him out. He's always been out there hunting his own food, killing it, eating it. He's got a farm, livestock, wild animals, whatever he's got. Right back to the 70s, he was doing that. And, and, and he's just got this thing where he goes, if you want to kill the most animals possible, go vegan. You know, and he just makes the point that he said, how do you think you get those fields of crops? Every animal's wiped out, everything down to the bacteria most, you know, is this land's cleared, the, the, the soil is destroyed. And then, and then on it comes and, and the ones that didn't get killed uh, by that process, get the hell poisoned out of them by, by, by Monsanto, you know, when they come along and, uh, and put, all the, put all these glyphosates on or whatever they do. And yeah. then things wandered into the field you can be sure you're going to chew them up in the combine harvesters so you know there isn't an ethical diet there is a there yeah, is all sure. you, you know and if you put the cows back on the land it brings the soil back it brings the environment back mm. if we've got to kill something that's fine and and you know they, the people forget that the herds were out there all the time they, they they i was hearing that you could sit there in america and um and, and watch you know you'd sit there for four days while a herd went past unbroken you know, so how much were they burping? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So the whole environmental, ethical thing is totally back to front. We as humans can choose not to cause these animals that wouldn't even exist if we didn't eat them. You know, they're a kind of a fake animal, really. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, where what are they going to do? They're going to storm around the uh, uh, the streets like they do in India. They're going to be storming their way through through vegans' broccoli patches, and 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 what are they going to do then? You know. These animals are sacred in, in India, but when they wander into some shop, in which they quite often do, you see these guys looking around and punching them in the face. And they, <laughs> the, the vegans are, the vegans are going to get uh, are going to get get just as angry with them when they're wandering through their their place for eating their food. And, and so, you know, I, I think the ethical thing is all completely back to front. All the vegans are going, "Oh, you kill animals, and I don't." It's really not that simple. People need to listen to a load of interviews with Lier Keith. She has got it nailed. You know, she's got the whole environmental thing down. She's 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 shown how how uh, actually every society has collapsed as their soil has collapsed, and that's what we've done. We've just done this monocropping. Yeah, we can sure. no longer feed ourselves. Yeah. You know, and when that happens to societies, then you start to see that they start eating each other. You know, that's when cannibalism comes in. That's when a vegan <laughs> cannibal. You know, well, move, let's say turn cannibal, move from auto cannibalism to real cannibalism. <laughs> in the meantime, they're, they're kind of eating their own bodies, aren't they, from inside? Yeah. So you can you can see this in all all the all, all the sort of vegan vegan leaders. You know, I think I think Dr. Gregor should start actually doing talks on cannibalism because he's the biggest expert on it. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I, I don't know. These, uh, I, I, I think the ethical thing, I think vegans, if they really care, they're going to sit down and look at it a lot more deeply. Yeah, yeah. Because really, they, but you, you link them to it, they won't look. Yeah, they sure, sure. Shouting at you, shouting at you, they won't look. So, man, just please sit down and look. They look when they get ill. Yeah, yeah. And they get sick enough, and then they get they think, oh, God, I've got to eat meat to get better. I, I understand that now, but I can't stand the ethics. And then they go, my God, it was never like that all along. Mm. No, I, it, it was. Uh, I was fooling myself about that too. And and you know what's good for the body is also good for the planet. It's it's 
you know, everything's a, a micro and macrocosm of everything else, isn't it? You know, yeah, you can, sure, sure. You can see the laws of nature in a cell or in an ocean. You know, it depends how you look. It's, it's, and if, if something works for one thing, it works for something else. Sure. Well, I, I think, I mean, you know, talk, talking about ethics and, and the question of what's going on with the planet, I think we, we have two of the biggest problems that we've ever faced as a human species. We're losing the mycelium in our soil. Now, obviously, the, the kind of school textbook uh, way that is understood about how plants grow is that they have these roots and they reach into the ground and they pull up nutrients. And so the photosynthesis, you know, happens. Um, but actually, plants and trees are not able to absorb a lot of the nutrients that's in the soil. They're, they're just not, you know, biologically able to do that. And so they rely on this symbiotic relationship between mycelium and so the mycelium is a, a mycelium is a is a fungus that grows throughout the soil, um, and the mycelium is is a, an under rooting spread system of mushrooms as well. So sometimes you get it as mycelium underneath the soil, but then the mushrooms are the the pollen heads of that mycelium. Um, but as soon as you start spraying with any chemical pesticides, fungicides, insecticides, you kill, like you said, Phil. You know, by going through our traditional farming processes you kill that mycelium in the soil. And actually, as soon as you plough, and this is something that um, even permaculturists are starting to talk about now, is the soil was never designed to be ploughed because as soon as you actually uh, expose the soil to oxygen, the microbial life dies and the mycelium dies. So, so forget spraying. By ploughing a field and doing it in the traditional way that we've come to know as farming, we're killing our soil. And so by extension, we're actually ridding plants of a symbiotic relationship of being able to take up nutrients. So I think maybe that's another thing that even the plants that we do eat, uh, a lot of them are nutrient bare. There's nothing really there because the mycelium isn't there in the soil to actually create that symbiotic relationship. And then the second thing that's happening is this mass genocide of insects. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we are... We are by number a planet of insects in which other species inhabit. You know, in, insects outnumber us millions and millions to one. But now, uh, you know, it's never happened in human history, but we're losing huge swathes of our insect populations. And they really make our planet turn. They do everything, they keep the ecosystem healthy. Uh, you know, and, and bees for the first time in human history have gone onto the endangered species list. So, you know, it, it, whether you're vegan or carnivore, this this is a big problem because obviously the, the animals eat the plants that the bees are actually pollinating. So if we lose bees, we lose everything and we lose the insects, we lose the soil. So as you said, I, I think, you know, it's about understanding, like you said, that relationship with one to the other, you know, an ethical question really the most ethical way of farming is not to farm, um, yeah. is to, to, yeah. to let nature repair itself. As you said, animals to actually repair the soil, the ecosystems to take back over. And, and you can plant in ways that move with the ecosystem with permaculture. And if you want to grow some, some garlic and some herbs and various other things that you want to do and seasonally, um, but you can do it in a way that's actually in balance with nature, not you know digging holes in the earth and spraying them. And then, of course, you know, this is where this whole GMO thing comes in, doesn't it? That we, because we've killed so much of our soil, uh, we are engineering these crops to be able to withstand 
petrochemicals and all sorts of stuff actually going on them and the plants themselves not dying. I know, it's insane. And, and it's right in front of our noses. So with that, that, as you say, we're outnumbered massively by insects. If we keep the population of them up, what a great food source. I mean, yeah. how much healthier would people be if, if they ate this insect, if, <clears throat> if they ate insects and if they ate the soy? Sure, sure. Well, look at, look at Andrew Scarborough. I mean, you know, he's, he's a, a really fantastic example of what an insect diet can do for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just organs and insects, isn't it? Yeah. I love these guys about what he eats. But to be honest, I admire him. I really do. I think he's he's great. And and just, you know, it's funny, you know, this this whole uh, celebrity in the jungle thing. Have you seen this? You know, I'm yeah. a celebrity, yeah. get me out of here. And it, I it just sort of fast forward it now and again for the Bush Tucker challenges, the Bush Tucker trials and stuff. And I think, yeah, it's kind of revolting, some of the stuff. But if I got in there, I'd just be saying, just give me that. <laughs> you know, I don't, oh, we're on rice and beans again. Yeah, but the nutritious stuff is there. Listen, you can go down there and you can get the trial and you can get eyeballs and tarantulas. You know, at least this is, <laughs> this is nutritious. You know, a couple of camel's anuses and a kangaroo <laughs> penis. And you're done. You're done. You, know, it's, 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 you have to choke it down and whatever. But I'm not joking. I'd rather eat that than the rice and beans. If if you put me in that jungle, it would be in my contract yeah. that I, I I'm not eating the rice and beans, however <laughs> hungry I got, because it's just pure pain. You know, I, if 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 I uh, if I if I got hungry, I'd be as, as likely to smash myself in the knee with a hammer <laughs> as as eat that that shite. You know, I, I'm not a great fan of of anuses, penises, and idols, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> better but, than but, grains. Yeah, yeah, absolutely better than grains. You know. And it's only our modern uh, can, uh, sort of uh, uh, acquired squeamishness that's that stopped us eating this stuff. Yeah, because, sure. you know, if we're kind of blindfold and you have a nice, uh, you know, fried tarantula, it probably tastes pretty good. You know, uh, so I, I don't see anything wrong with the, the sure, insect sure. thing. And it would be one of the great solutions. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, they're, they're probably vegans think that they're not sentient, so they can eat them as well. Or are they? Do they have a face? So I suppose they do have a face. It depends if it's a nice face. You see, it has to be a nice face to have real sympathy, doesn't it? I suppose, you see, Bambi wasn't um, Bambi wasn't a praying mantis. <laughs> so, so maybe they don't have so much sympathy. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's so comical, isn't it? It really is. It's so comical how we've come by these crazy ideas and become so disconnected. But, uh, you know, it is. I think I think people joke about it, that Walt Disney is, is one of the main offenders for putting us in this frame of mind. Um, yeah, maybe it'll go down in history that Walt Disney was a worse criminal than Hitler, and that he brought down <laughs> the, the end of civilization. <laughs> you never know. I I, never I think know. it's it's definitely interesting because I think I I was kind of uh, a bit of an odd one out of my schoolmates in the sense that I kind of grew up around a lot of hunting families and, you know, they were out shooting pheasants and stuff in, in, you know, at the weekends. And so I, I kind of grew up with a real understanding. And I remember the first time that I was probably, I don't know, I guess nine or 10 and somebody had shot a pheasant kind of clipped it and I had to go over and kind of wring its neck and, um, you know, I, I think in, in a kind of weird way, and, and it was a little bit traumatic in a sense, because I think when you first squeeze the life out of something yourself and really understand what that connection means, it, it is a bit humbling. But at the same time, I kind of understood that, well, this is where food comes from. 
Uh, and I think this is one of these great shames that, you know, like you said, this kind of Disney mentality that everything's cute and everything's got a little house and a roof and they go back to their family and sit down for tea. And, um, you know, where actually we've kind of taken away that connection with our food that you see when you travel abroad, you know, when you go to Asia and you go to Latin America, uh, I mean, you know, you go to Mexico City in, in the markets, there's cows being bled out and cut apart with people pointing at, at body parts. And, you know, I think the great thing is about that is they eat everything. I mean, you know, when, when you go to a Mexican market and a, and a taco stand, you don't get, uh, you know, ribeye steak and flank. You get eyes, you get ears, you get tongue, you get, you know, everything on the animal is used for something, for some kind of purpose. You know, they boil the bones down for gelatin, they make puddings out of it, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's one of the great disconnects. And, and I think, I hope that we could all agree that we probably do to eat too many animals because we like to pluck breasts out of them and pull the bits off that we actually like instead of eating the entire animal as we did as you know as our ancestors um absolutely i remember when i was it was like 1980 and i was or oh, 79 80 and i was wandering around morocco and i was um i got lost somewhere in the market in fez and 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 i turned a corner and there was like a shitload of cat severed cow's heads <laughs> and I was really stoned as well, and I was I was suffering from the after effects of too many mushrooms the year before, so I was quite paranoid. And I just came around this corner, totally lost. I lost all all my mates who I was with, and and there was just a sea of cow heads staring at me, and it was an overwhelming sense of disconnect, you know. Now I just wouldn't bother me at all. I'd think, well, yes, a bit weird to leave them all lying around all over the floor, but that's about it, you know. There's and so, you know, vegans go, well, oh, do you love your pets? And do you love this and that? You know, this is the thing. You, you know, we develop emotional attachments and that's absolutely fine. You know who Chaz and Dave are, don't you? Our yeah. Dave. Well, Chaz died. Oh, no. And I mean, we were devastated. And, and really, I mean, what a little character. He was amazing. And I, I cried that Chaz died. I was taking him out and I put him, he was on top. You can see my drum stacked up back there. Yeah. He was on this little tissue lying in state waiting for Amelia to get back and we we're going to give him a burial and all that. I mean, he was a proper character and he loved me as well, you know, and he'd sit in a cage and call me and whatever. And uh, Dave, he hates me. So, you know, <laughs> he, he's left a diabetic Dave. We fed, we fed them too many almonds, you know. I was kind of, um, uh, you know, oh, well, that's great, you know, but no, not for all animals, not, not really. You know, sometimes <laughs> they, they have another procedure. Like Chaz was really healthy. So he got away with it, but he obviously had slightly shorter telomeres because he had something happen to him one day. And Dave was sort of taking care of him and hugging him and, and really being lovely to him for a whole day. And, and, and he was all wobbly and weird. And, and, and I thought Dave would go first because he's got a cataract and he's a bit diabetic, you know. But Chaz, tremendous health. Um, you know, double Dave's intelligence and, you know, always forcing him to do all the work and whatever. And suddenly there's Dave looking after him. And the whole interaction was beautiful. And these animals do, they have this wonderful interaction. And then he died the next day. And, and it, it's funny because I thought, how weird is this? Because to me, usually rodents have been something that I've just bought and thrown down a snake because they used to keep all these, you know, <laughs> bird constricts and pythons and stuff. But I understood because like, rats are amazing creatures. And I understood if I kept that thing for more than a couple of days, I'd get attached to it. And, and, you know, chucking it down the snake is fine as long as you bring it straight in from the shop and throw it in. That's, you know, nature well sort of, you know, okay, the thing's in captivity, but you've got to feed it whatever. 
you know, I'm not going to do a vegan thing and try to put their cat on vegan cat. Food, but, <laughs> you know, snakes are not that stupid. If you put a bit of broccoli in front of them, they are not going to eat it. Not ever. Yeah. Not however hungry they get. <laughs> if you're going to keep snakes, you're going to have to give them rats. So, you know, and rabbits as they grow up, you know, and, and, and that's it. That's what, so, so the attachment that we have, but yet, Again, if, if I find a really injured bird or something like that, and it's happened a few times, you know, if I've hit one with a car or I've seen one struggling in the side of the road, I'll go pull its head clean off. You know, I, I don't mess about with wringing its neck because, you, you know, you're not very good at it and it can cause suffering. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. Death is death. That thing I can see is beyond bundling it up and taking it to the vet. Yeah, it's yeah. Far. Yeah. So you go, well, pull its head clean off. And I don't have a problem with that, none at all. If I hit the bird in the first place... I have a problem. I go, ah, oh. you know, like I hit yeah, a hedge yeah. a little while ago and I went back and the thing had gone under the car and I hadn't even squashed it, but it had died from shock. Mm, it had actually yeah. died in the night. I was coming back from a gig and this thing was dead in the road. And, and, you know, I just put it in the bushes to the side of the road and, and, and drove off. There's nothing I can do about it, but I was really upset about that because I'd caused that problem. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't mean to, but if it had been, really really injured by the side of the road i'd have dispatched it i'd have looked around i'd have i'd have found a rock you know or something or if it had been i thought okay well maybe it's okay i'd have bundled the thing up and i'd have put it in a box in the garage and i've taken it to the vet the next morning or something you know i i do have that care for animals but if it's really suffering i don't have a problem with death i don't i think i think a lot of i've heard a lot of people say this i think it might be true that the vegan thing is um is quite often a fear of death they're so freaked out about death in animals that they're worried about their own death all the time. Mm. You know, in that period when I was incredibly sick, I think it took away a lot of my fear of death because there was times where I wished for death and I realized now there's things far worse than death. Whatever happens to us, you know, after we die, whether it's lights out or whether it's bliss or whether it's whatever it is, or, you know, whether it's just, you know, being poured back into the ocean and little bits of us end up in other people and whatever just like you know probably the race memory the car the akashic record how several people still think they were joan of arc you know they probably were probably were well apart from the ones that are faking it so you know I, it, it's a fear of death if you lose the fear of that all-encompassing fear of death you lose a fear of everything you lose a fear of illness you lose fear of all sorts of things and you lose fear of eating a fucking steak now and again you know, just, <laughs> just eat it it's not you, you know it, so yeah, I I I I would yeah happily happily dispatch animals, and I have done, and I will do, and I have have no problem with it. If I intend to eat it, like if I go trout fishing, I don't do it too much anymore because the damn things are all pellet fed, and then they fill fill the lakes up with them. So if I if I do go trout fishing, I let them go. But if I'm on a wild stream, and this is a wild caught fish that's that's eaten all its the insects insect larvae and whatever, they're delicious. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna think about smacking it on the head and taking it home, and I have zero problem with that, zero problem at all if I'm gonna eat it. So, yeah, you can have it's a vegan so I understand it's not black and white. You can have complete compassion for animals, um, and yet not have a fear of death and and and, and not have a problem um, dispensing it if it's if it's needed. Yeah, sure, and I think that comes back to the balance, doesn't it? I mean, if if you uh, there's a, a a very interesting lady called Anna Breitenbach. She she does some very woo woo stuff with animals. She's a bit of an animal whisperer, but she's got some very interesting talks about how uh, ancient populations had relationships with the animals that they actually killed. And she talks about Native American Indians all sitting around in a group and kind of 
reaching out to the animals and and really sort of talking about why they needed the food and it was sustenance for the for the families and to take them through the winter and new coats and all these kind of things but it but it was a real balance of we take what we need we eat it all we use it all and and then we kill again and and it it's not that there's something wrong with that and I, and I think as you said I, I'm you know be interested to hear your kind of opinions around kind of Samadhi and Maya and, you know, talking about some, some of this stuff, this part of the illusion, which I think is, is uh, one of the issues that we've got, as you said, is, is this kind of fear of death, that it's something that's so wrong. I think suffering is wrong. I think everyone can agree on that, whether carnivore or vegan, suffering of any animal is wrong. Absolutely. Causing unwanted suffering yeah, is, sure. is, 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 fundamentally wrong i think but but your own suffering is often the time you grow the most yeah very you true know, yeah as it happens naturally it's it's i don't judge suffering as good or bad i i just don't particularly want to cause it where i don't have to i don't think it's my business yeah but but yes i i think this interesting it's, it's lovely that you bring that up because i think that all of um all of our problems come from the illusion that we're separate you know that this is this is the thing. If if you know, depending on which le- to what degree you understand, or let's not say understand, but fully experience that you are part of the whole and everything is just one organism. You know, we we as Rick Archer always says, who 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 does the Buddha at the gas pump interviews and. You know, it's a friend become a friend of mine, and he's great. He always says we sense organs of the infinite, and and I think that's lovely because rather than being separate entities, you know, if we're separate entities, we get all kinds of um, ridiculous ideas. You know, don't we? We 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 just start interpreting the universe wrong, and so and so that this leads to a million other nonsensical ideas and that's not to say that's not to say that if if you have some kind of awakening and you and you figure out or or get thrown into the space where you understand that everything's all one that doesn't mean to say that you become infinitely wise and that, that all the preconceptions disappear often that's the time when you have to start doing the most work of all uh, but but because you you have less of that 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 ironclad ego you can work on them a lot better and have people tell you that you're a bit of a twat more easily and take <laughs> more, you know, rather than taking horrendous offense. You know, I think, I think one, one, one great marker of, of, of how sort of evolved somebody has become in that respect is how, how easily they can take offense. And weirdly in the spiritual world today, I was just about to do a video or one that I've been wanting to do for ages about diet myths transcendental meditation and spiritual snowflakes <laughs> you know, and, and the grounding effect that i've seen of, of the carnivore diet on on spirit on spiritual people and they, they that you know you can actually take the piss out of them rather than rather than uh, walk around on eggshells all the time like like i have to do with a lot of my spiritual friends yeah you yeah can't sure. mention this you can't say fuck you can't you can't make a joke about genitalia you know, you can't say anything like that. Whereas if you see those sort of gurus and whatever, they are, um, they're generally not spiritual snowflakes. If you, if you sort of, you know, anybody who thinks they are, maybe, maybe, you know, look up Osho's talk on, on the most useful word in the English language, the word fuck, you know, and he goes through all the different things it can mean. 
And, and of course, people go, then somebody will say, well, Osho's mad, you know. They, they went, Come on, you know, it, there were people who thought he was the greatest guru, and, and they think, you know, they've got their greatest guru. You know, Billy Connolly, he has a lovely, I'm giving away all the secrets I was going to do on my video today. But, but like, Billy Connolly has a great little thing that he said once, where, you know, when he's talking about religion, never trust anyone who only has one book. <laughs> <laughs> just so beautiful he's so great at dissolving the, the the crap around religion he's 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 brilliant at summing it up and 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 you know i think a lot of these people have a lot of these hilarious people and just people who have no uh sense of self-importance they have so much more innate spirituality than than, than these people who run around as seekers seeking this seeking that and, and then and then they end up not being able to do anything you know they end up kind of paralyzed by their own preposterous spiritual rules that they've made up and then you start to get words like deniers and blasphemy and then and then you know then it's becoming a religion and then the danger really comes it amuses me when you get this climate change deniers thing coming in you know come on people just have different opinions and every good idea started with a few okay so 98 percent of climate change scientists think that that's the truth I don't know. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm really not. So that don't, people don't attack me for this. I'm still looking at it with a real open mind. But that's what I do. I just look at things with an open mind. People, you know, vegans accuse me of being closed-minded. But no, I've looked at that. I've been through it. I've suffered. I've, I've got the, the, the joint deformations. You know, <laughs> I've, I've, I've looked at it. Believe me. You know, I, they, I'm not being closed-minded with that. So, but, but if somebody comes up with something new, I'm on it. You know, when yeah, this deuterium. It was like, what's this? You know, let's go down that rabbit hole. Let's look at And I know you're the same. As soon as something interesting comes up, you'll rag it to death, you know, and <laughs> it'll come back to me and you'll be going, oh, hey, look, you know, you know, have you discovered this one? That's the alarm for Peter to go and get him from school. But Detta's here. It's okay. Detta? Did you hear that? <laughs> you going well? Okay. It's not round to Vince's. <laughs> We have a neighbour called. I, I can't even tell you. That. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I think I think this is, this is the really interesting thing, and this is kind of one of the reasons I I put together this podcast is because I've met um, so many uh, quote unquote successful people, uh, of of which you are one of them. Uh, you know, and so I, I think success is a definition that you yourself hold, and and that's the only way you can look at it. But the commonality between all of them, and particularly the ones that were really successful, and you know, I, I'm not necessarily talking about money, although you know, some of them have got a lot of money. Um, they all said that humility was the the greatest sort of gift that they had and could give to other people, and so it's this idea that. You know, the the more you know, the less you know. And there's there's that great, I, I forget his name, but there's that great saying by the English philosopher. And it's, you know, humans know what they know. And, and sometimes they know what they don't know. But the real problem is they don't know what they don't know. And and that and that's the issue. And I, and I think whether it's business, whether it's health, you know, whatever environment of life you're in uh, and however you're looking to progress, it's one of the biggest things that you have to really get over is that your belief systems are just a process of which you become accustomed to. And it, and it maybe it's because you read a certain paper or you'll follow a certain YouTuber or, you know, you've had a certain experience in life. 
Um, but the ability to be able to compartmentalize that and say, okay, well, that was useful and, and it's all life experience, but, um, you know, maybe there's another way. Maybe there's more answers. Maybe there's a different way to do things, um, you know, whether that's business or health or whatever it is. I, I think that that is one of the most fundamental principles. Um, and I think illness is one of the greatest gifts. And that's, you know, is why you titled your book, right? Is that illness doesn't give you a choice. And especially when it's pain, it's one of those things that makes you face it because you just have to. You have to to continue with your life. You have to say, I'm not prepared to accept this pain or I need to accept it and move forwards and then, you know, find different ways. And so if you maybe hadn't got that physical pain there, there would be less of an incentive to do something about it. You know, there'd, there'd be yeah, less of a drive. The only way you can prove it is is by trying these things that you're hearing from people and experimenting on yourself. And then people say it's a useless anecdote. No, it's not. See, the problem with people when they, they, everybody thinks that they know about, you know, going back to the diet thing, just not for diet's sake, but just for the, the, the sort of Dunning-Kruger effect sort of sake. Because, you know, everybody eats, so everybody thinks that they're an expert on diet. <clears throat> they think that for some reason I've, I've been in a cupboard forever and I've just come out and got one YouTube video that says I should eat meat. And that I haven't seen all this marvelous truth on the news yeah. in the Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> that saturated fat clogs my arteries. Yeah, you know, they think I genuinely haven't noticed it, and they will actually comment. It's like, it's like someone walking into a brain surgery operation, going, "Oh my God, you've hurt his head." You know, like, <laughs> get that lunatic out of here. Somebody made a great point the other day, which was, um, it's a very interesting observation, I think, that. You know, if you're brighter than somebody or you know more about a subject than somebody and two, two other people are talking, you know who's demolishing who. But if two people know a lot more than you do about a subject, like most people do, like even the vegan doctors, right, like Joel Kahn or whatever, and, and, and they know a lot more about diet than most people do, um, whether it's the correct info or not, they're 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 bandying around all this stuff about about different scientific pro different biological processes and blah 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 and it all sounds very convincing and and then you get some carnivore guy talking to him and and sort of pretty much easily debunking what he's saying but your average person listening isn't going to know that and they're probably going to fall down on the joel khan side because then joel khan says Oh, you know, I was, cause I, I was talking to Sean Baker, you know, I did that HBO podcast. And then and then he was saying that uh, I can't remember if it was in the interview or before that, 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 that you know, some doctor at, at one of these vegan doctors, I think it was Joel Kahn, had said, well, it's just that you're so cruel and nasty doing that, eating that way. And, and then you're like, oh, come on. You know, you just not look at and anybody's going to believe that they're going to go, OK, well, there's these two docs arguing about this, but that one cares about animals. He must have a heart. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so and so they get completely fooled in it and they go down the rabbit hole and then they end up, you know, five years later, they'll come back to me and go, my thyroid's popped up. You were right in the first place. But it, it takes that to bring them out of that kind of thing. Sure. And, and that's the real tragedy. That's why we're going about about vegans and stuff. You know, Jack did a talk to Bart Kay and I think Bart Kay is going to be quite amusing. He's, he's really going for the vegans. But, uh, you know, and Jack's always going for the diet gurus. 
But it's interesting because they're really getting on because they're both kind of researched. They both really understand shit way beyond what I understand. Uh, but, but, but they were chatting and, and Jack did a little intro to that talk. It's on Bart Kay's channel. Um, and it just his first five minute intro explains why it's nothing to do with this war of carnivores and vegans. You know, it, it's so far beyond that. The carnivores are so educated in diet, the biohackers and then mitochondriacs and whatever. And then you add spirituality to that, you know, and, and then you're so far beyond the bloody diet question. Yeah. That it's weird that somebody's arguing about it. Yeah, you know, sure, it's, sure. It's so weird. You look at the big picture, diet becomes so obvious in an ancestral framework, in a modern framework, and what's happening with all the other things. And then on the YouTube thing, you go, you get somebody, and somebody again, you know, and they come up, oh, how can you possibly, everybody knows fruit and vegetables is healthy. How dare you give up this misinformation? When you educate yourself properly, then you'll understand like I do, and you're going, oh, <laughs> I, I think the, the, sure, sure. but you know I, I think that the difficulty is and, and this is you know where I, I see the challenge and, and I think where some things have got to kind of be broken down you know and, and the jacks of the world and, and I, I think his early information was absolutely spot on but I think the difficulty was I remember that it took me two years of hard research to even understand what the hell he was on about <laughs> and and I, and I think you know, remembering that and going back and and for those of you, I hope that you know listening the the issue that we've got is really understanding it step by step. And I think I used to get uh, you know I worked in a, a gym as a personal trainer for a while after I kind of healed myself and everything else. Um, but one of the things that I used to see is is that was the first thing you know you're talking to people who, um, you know, when we look at let's say the NHS and we look at these kind of uh, ideas of what our health pyramid should look like, this stuff is so outdated. You know, I mean, calories is an example. Calories kind of drives me around the bend. And and all I'll say to anybody is, well, go and research where calories came from. Uh, it's it's a science that goes back to the 1800s. Uh, and and it, all it is is about raising water uh, you know, temperature by one degree and how much energy that takes. So, you know, when, when you when you really start to strip back, I think it's stripping back the layers. And unfortunately, diet happens to be one of the first ones is that if people are saying, well, you know, what does diet matter? And I'm eating my five a day and, and I'm doing my diet in a normal way. And, and I think, um, you know, the, the way that I would say one of the big things and you must have seen this, Phil, we we're talking about it earlier, the, the cognitive performance, you know, forget the way you feel and your moods and everything else. But but if you quote unquote are trying to be successful in your life and whether that's happy healthy wealthy wh whatever that is you have in mind um i just think it comes back to that boring age-old analysis of you know if if you put uh, dirty fuel in a car you know it's not going to last i mean it, in fact i saw a youtube video the other day of, of a guy who'd bought a skoda with four hundred and ninety thousand miles on it an old diesel and uh, they were talking to this mechanic who they were going to take the engine apart and examine it. And they were sort of saying, oh, what, what, what do you think we're going to see? And, and this mechanic sort of says, well, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be carbon and this and that. And it's going to be all worn down and the engine's going to be scrap. And they opened it up and, and the guy just sort of stood there with an open mouth and went, this looks like it's done 20,000 miles. 
you know, and it's because then when they talked to the guy who'd owned it previously, he'd obsessively changed the oil every 5,000 miles. He'd, you know, he'd used all the right fuels. He'd had it serviced regularly. And, and I think the body's no different. If you put crap in it, you're going to get crap results. And, and so the first place to start maybe is diet, to start to understand that there are some things out there that move beyond the five-a-day food pyramid. Um, oh, yeah, and, and it's the most powerful thing. I mean, if you do actually give somebody, say with an autoimmune condition, if you get them on a carnivore diet, the, the results are so spectacular. I appreciate that um, that it might not be at the root cause of everything. Sure, certainly sure. At the cause of understanding. Sure. But at that stage, it is so powerful once the gut's wrecked to just give it meat that's supposed to be the most indigestible food, sure. um, which, of course, it isn't, you know. <laughs> And it, and it heals up the gut. The, the, the miracles happen, you know. It just, sure. I mean, just oh, guys, just pull this lamb out of the oven. I'll be one sec. That looks good. <laughs> <laughs> and see, you know, it's a funny thing. Here I am. I've, I've got this lamb out of the oven. It's what, like almost midday now, seven hours, been up. And I'm like, yeah, that'll be nice later on. I can't yeah. be asked. I'll be yeah. fine. Sure. You know, if sure. you get that raging hunger, it's so cool. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, you know, it's kind of applicable to anyone because I, I think, you know, this, the, the crashing that uh, I think I really noticed with with diet all previous to this one. And I think this is something that maybe everyone wishes to not have those crashes throughout the day. You know, if, if you're working, you're doing stuff, you're busy. The last thing you want is then starting to crash out on energy. And so then you you have a coffee or you you have a chocolate bar or something to kind of bring you back into action. And then you're off again to the races for another hour or two hours. And, and so there's this constant process I, I remember we had a guy uh, in our gym who used to train he used to do bodybuilding and his girlfriend used to come with him because he was lifting at such a competitive level and it, and it was this kind of you know body composition stuff so he was absolutely ripped to bits I mean if, if anyone looked at him you probably would have said he was a very healthy guy because he looked great but um at halfway through working out on some of the machines he'd start to doze off because he was in such a kind of state of starvation because obviously they cut everything out to to get this body physique that his girlfriend had a bag of skittles and she used to like wake him up give him a couple of skittles and then he'd sort of be off again for 20 minutes and then he'd start to doze off again and she'd feed him a couple of skittles and he'd carry on you know and and i and i think that's that's a very extreme example but you know, when, when you're in a standard diet, you know, process, that's generally what's happening is that, you know, let's face it, carbohydrates have a window of about two hours. That's it. You know, glucose feeds feeds the body and the brain for a short period of time and then it's over. So, and it's either going to get used or go into fat storage. That's That's it. Whereas, you know, fat, either by consuming or tapping into your own, then you have this kind of almost relatively unlimited energy source that keeps going and is is stable. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look what people are doing on it now. Look at Zach Bitter and what he's doing on it now. You know, with his honey, he's just broken another record, hasn't he? You know, yeah. And he's hardly having any carbs. I think he's has them now and again just before um, <clears throat> train, just before um, days where he's actually doing a race. I think I'm not sure of his schedule, but you know, it's fascinating how few carbs he has, and now he's he's almost. Uh, 100% carnivore on most days, and and he's just not doing all that sort of carb loading that used to be supposed to be essential. And this is uh, this is what's so great about all these podcasts and stuff. It's it's just blowing up all the crap. You know, you get again, you get uh, well, not just vegans, but all sorts of people. They just go, oh well, you've linked me to a podcast. 
Yes, but the podcast is the guy who wrote the damn paper. Yeah, yeah. You know, these are not just idiots on these podcasts. These are like leading researchers and scientists, and you can hear their passion for it as well. And and you can get a sense of, of how honest they are, and you can get all of that. Oh, well, just link me to a study. No, mate, you'll probably have to pay for it. You've yes. not read it. Yeah. You'll have to pay for it on PubMed or whatever it is to get the full one. Or whatever it is, wherever they host them, and 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 you're gonna, you you know, you you can actually listen to this guy. Why not listen to this guy? See where it came from. Yeah. See the explanation around how, where the study came. Have some humanity. No, it's just a podcast. If you're listening to that, then you're obviously a quack. And you're like, oh man, you know. And this is what we face, breaking through it. You know, you, sure. you, you can, I can't often say that you can tell people this and that get, get the light sorted do this do that do that but 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 ge just me oh piss off you know it's 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 such a wall of dogma between between us and just getting us onto our ancestral diet it's why i say just get you know if somebody's sick and, and they skype me or something just please make it a mcdonald's eater and not a vegan because you say to them hey give it a go eat steak all day oh that sounds cool i'll give it a go vegan you got three months work of deprogramming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, because it's, it's become an ideology and I, and I think actually Gabo Mate did a really interesting talk recently about ideology and, and how ideology is becoming some of our new addiction. Uh, you know, Gabo Mate, for those who don't know, he's, he's one of the world leading specialists on addiction. And, um, and so I think that that's what it is, you know, that the vegan ideology has become more than just a diet, which, for any of us, we're just trying to seek out information. But I think once it becomes an ideology, um, one of the big problems that we've got is that a lot of people, I think, feel that they don't have a lot of meaning in life. And, and that's Gabble's theory, saying that we don't have enough purpose. We don't have enough meaning. Yeah. We don't have enough meaningful interactions with other people. We we email each other in business. We don't send voice and video. We don't talk enough. And so because of that void in the workplace, in our relationships, in our work, you know, in our environments that we attach to things that give us meaning and purpose. And, and I think that is one of the, the kind of the dangerous parts of the, of the vegan movement. I think, you know, being honest, they've got a lot right. You know, I think the factory farming stuff, we can all agree that's that should go. You know, bees need to be cared for and lots of animals need, uh, you know, a better environment to live in. But I think once it becomes an ideology that then a lot like the yogi stuff and, and the spiritualism and these, you know, almost religions that come out of this ideology, then it's another cul-de-sac. You've gone down a road, you're parked up and, and that's it. You're, you're not moving forwards and you're not, yeah, you know, absolutely. you're not really paying attention to what's going on around you. Yeah, that's it. That, that's, the other, that's the other thing when you realize that you're just a little part of the whole. Yeah. Not an individual. You don't take yourself so seriously. You don't even take your own ideas so seriously. You know, they sure. become kind of comical and, and you just, you're always willing to move on. Somebody comes up with something else. You go, oh, cool. Yeah, sure. It's obviously, this, I'm a part of this computer and this is obviously something I have to process instead of I'm not looking at that. Yeah. You know, which so many people have. They have to just, just I'm not looking. It might challenge my views. It might challenge my beliefs. Well, wh why the hell would you want a belief if it's, if it's not challengeable? Yeah. Yeah, you know, sure. I, spend, I spend an awful long time, um, and I still do. I spend I, looking for carnivore disasters, looking for a problem that might come in about it. You know, I'm not going. Everything's good. Everything's but. But the thing is, I'm only finding good stuff at the moment. That's not yeah. to say I won't find something. Sure, bad. sure. 
and I'll keep on looking, but I'm not. Every time I look, you know, you put on diet disaster or something into into YouTube, all you'll find is hundreds of broken vegans now going, oh my God, what was I thinking? You know? Um, and, and you you can you can honestly you can you can direct vegans to Gattis's channel, you know, Sveria on, on YouTube. And you can direct them there and say, have you seen these hundreds of stories? And they go, oh he's mad. He thinks the earth is flat and he drinks blood. So I'm not looking at it. Well, fine, it's irrelevant. It's not those people. It's the other one. Oh, they're all faking. They're paid by the meat industry. I, you're joking me. You are joking. They've got they're paying meat industry. They're paying people. And then they start on me like you're you're trying to harm people by doing the same. You must be paid as well. Going like, come and look at my bank accounts, man. Please come and have a look at them. You know, and if you can find anybody to pay me. For <laughs> It's absolutely insane, but they build up, and I can't understand it. You know, I don't care what anyone eats. I don't give a shit. What what I care about is this lack of inquisition. I just, it just puzzles me. I look at some of these comments and I go, "What are you thinking? How are you ever going to move forward in life?" Or and then I go, "To be honest, that is part of the computer as well." Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It's only because I'm also judging them to be stuck in their own thing. You know, I can always just block them and get rid of them. But I don't. I have this stupid niggling crap about having, oh, I've got to show them this and I've got to show them that. And then, wouldn't that be lovely? Imagine when I found that, how cool it was to learn that and how it took away this ailment. And, but, you know, like, like you said, like I typed my book, Arthritis, the best thing that ever happened to me. This is probably the best thing that's happening to them. They probably yeah, got some yeah, shit yeah. to get through, you know. And all you can do is put this stuff out there and then nature works beautifully and it brings you to people that are more, are better for you. You know, the people who are more extreme, they want to go call Gattis up and they want to go talk to him. And then I get certain type of people coming to me who think that I express things in a certain way. And other people think that I'm a, a stupid old bald Englishman who can just doesn't, you know, he's just wittering on about nonsense. And, that, you know, you get all these different opinions. It's funny seeing yourself through other people's eyes in the world of how many different ways the organism can see itself. And it's all beautiful. It's all perfect. It's how it all adds up. It's, it's just fantastic, you know? I mean, this whole war recently of, uh, you know, Goji Man and, uh, you know, and, and, and um, you know, he, he offered uh, Tim Ferriss, you know, he, he offered him um, uh, this, this whole routine of how to sort his gut out and all that, you know? And, and then he does it to other people. He, I don't know whether he just likes people sending him poo through the post. <laughs> I don't know what he's on about there, but and he's got this complicated routine, that complicated routine, and then you know um, uh, Gattis, of course, and and Tristan, they both had a pop at him, uh, and they were saying, you know, this is this is rubbish. This really is nonsense. It's much more simple than this. And then they did mention that, you know, if you zoom in, you can see that he's got seborrheic dermatitis, and 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 you know you. You can see all these things going wrong, and there's clearly stuff going on to do with veganism. So they, they, he, he came on with this very serious video saying that uh, uh, he was going to sue them all, and it was so funny. It was like, what are you whinging about, man? Even the vegans were saying, what are you whinging about? Just ignore these bullies. They weren't bullying him at all, you know. But, but then somebody came up with this video. I don't know if you've seen it, but if anybody puts it, it's, it's by some on the YouTube. You got to look at it. If anybody's following this saga by the channel called The Iron Pill. And this guy's done, Gattis is suing Sverrier for a hundred, no, one and a half million or something. I can forget how many noughts there were. Oh my God, it's hilarious. Almost died laughing, you know? 
And you can see all this different, and there's the seriousness of the vegans. The, the, the sense of humor seems to go, and yet the, the, the carnivores just getting on with what they're doing, and, 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 and they're just laughing. But this thing where he's overdubbed this thing, you know, you got to see this video. It's like, bad beard men, beard men wrong. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then in the end, he's going, and while I've got you, and he's got done it in a computer voice with Goji Mama. And he's got Goji Man's piss cleanse. And then there's one of the other vegans who, who's got such bad eyes, weeping from so much inflammation and, 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 and whatever, that he started to pour bottles of piss in his own eye and, and put it on his YouTube channel, you know? And so he's cut to that, and he's pretending like it's Goji Man doing this thing. The Goji Man piss cleanse, Goji Boy piss cleanse, man, is so funny. And he's going to get really upset about that, but what does he expect? You know, you've got to take the piss. And and that's that's the way to do it. You've got to, uh, uh, I think, highlight, rather than be really aggressive or whatever, just highlight the absolute absurdities in all of this. You know, the absurdities of, of Gregor, the interview he did a while ago on muscle building and hair loss. Gregor, I mean, there's a picture of him next to a, uh, an eight-year-old girl, isn't there? Nine-year-old girl, and, and her arms are thicker than him. And <laughs> he's talking about muscle building. You know, I'm not being nasty. It's hilarious. You know, I, I wish him all the best. I really hope that he's one of the guys who comes around, you know, like these beautiful guys who really do admit they're wrong, like like Tim Noakes in South Africa. You know, what a story that is. All that he did, put all, everything into carbohydrates and running and carb loading. And then next thing, he's ripping that diet section. Yeah, he, yeah, sure, sure. Um, and that's beautiful. That that guy's got some guts. Now, if Gregor gets any skinnier, I really hope that he's got, got some guts to, to, to come out and say that it's nonsense. You know, I think... I think we'll be saying, I think Vegetable Police started it, but I wouldn't say he's a great vegan guru, but he started off and done the carnivore thing. And the more of them come round, but then again, they just they excommunicate them. Then they're yeah, blaspheming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same as happens in the Catholic Church. You're blaspheming, you're to be put to death. It becomes inconvenient. And, and, and this is what happens, which is a shame. So, because, you know, it'd be nice to see Gregor turn around. But, but the absurdity of what he's talking about. You know, I mean, so I saw a talk with him, an interview with him the other day. And somebody said, have you heard about Sean Baker? And, and he said, no. Now, I believe that's a lie. You cannot now be in diet and not see what's happening with Sean Baker, particularly if you're a vegan and the whole carnival vegan. Yeah, program. yeah, sure. I, I don't believe it. But he said, no, no. And then the guy said, oh, well, he's eating only meat. And he's doing, oh, well, scurvy will get him. And you're like, come on, man. Do you, do you not see that these people have been on it for decades? They don't have scurvy. If you just look back, you can see the Inuit didn't have scurvy. The sure. ship captains knew. The polar explorers knew meat caught, cured scurvy, you know, in the absence of carbs. So it, I, it, there's a whole load of massive misinformation. And, and the more that people are taking the piss out of this, I think that's great. You know, I come from that piss-taking English public school background. <laughs> and I think it's great. We just took the piss out of each other all the time. Sometimes it was savage. You know, there was no physical violence as such. It was, it was all just just uh, a mental torture from these these twatty little English boys with big IQs who want to devastate <laughs> each other, you know, flush each other's heads down the toilet. And it, you know, it was, I think it's important to really, really, really take the piss out of these vegan people because, not because we're nasty to them, it's not bullying, it's just, uh, it's just demonstrating the absurdity of it to other people who might otherwise get caught up in it. And I think Bart Kay's doing great because he's doing both. And he's got such an incredible knowledge of, of nutrition, way beyond Goji Man, who always comes up on every video going, I am, of course, studying for a, a degree in, in, in this and that. And, 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 you know, it's like, why do you have to say that? I mean, you haven't even qualified yet. And you say, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so believe me. 
But Bart Kay, you know, he's been a researcher for ages. He's published papers on it. He's been a peer reviewer. And, and, and he, sees, he even says how ridiculous that procedure is. Yeah, yeah. And how, how perverted the whole thing gets. But nobody's, nobody's listening to these people. Well, of course they are. Some people are. But, you know, there's a certain section of society. So it's great if the people with this real knowledge are, are taking a piss and making these ridiculous videos to show, you know, when you actually look at the vegan video, oh, well, I'm going to murder you and stuff like that. That, that one with, with, with um, Vegan Gains recently, you see, he was actually talking about how angry he gets when he sees a, a child in a pushchair. He wants to stamp the pushchair until it's nothing but blood. This guy has hundreds of thousands of followers. There's young people. Someone's going to stamp a kid in a pushchair at some point because they're so nuts from their veganism listening to this lunatic. By that time, he's probably been on carn carnivory because he's gone so crazy and he's, something's blown up. But, you know, the people are getting so savage on it and so and it needs to be shown up because this is dangerous. You know, I understand people come up to me and say, oh, why don't you leave the vegans alone? People should eat what they want. Yeah, they should. But, but this is filtering down to everybody. You know, the diet thing's filtering down to everybody. If you're going to get kids stamped in pushchairs and people saying you need to have vasectomies because humans are a cancer on the earth. And, yeah, and I've, heard, I've yeah, seen a bit of that online recently, yeah. It's just getting too crazy. It's, yeah. it, it's, it needs to be. I'd rather not be. I, I do hang back. You know, I don't really do it on my channel. I don't. I'm, I'm not going to respond to, to anything to do with this thing. I, 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 I don't want to, but... When I see somebody really taking a piss well enough like that that Goji man did that I'm crying with laughter, I think that's what's needed, you know? It was like years ago when, when there was that, um, you know, Gaddafi war. And I wrote a letter to Thatcher. And, and I said, listen, why don't you just bomb his palace with custard? <laughs> why, why, why don't you just... You've got the technology, just enormous amounts of bombs that will explode in the air, and fill his whole palace and grounds with custard so that they're covered in it, you know? It's going to completely diffuse the situation. It's going to show how absurd the whole thing is. There's going to be no loss of life, and everyone's going to look like a twat, and, and, and the world's going to laugh. Of course I didn't. But I did actually get a reply back saying, your letter has been noted. <laughs> I got a reply back from Downing Street. <laughs> but, it was like, but I think I think this should be done, you know, more often. And I think the vegan world is ideal because it is so ridiculous, and 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 the the the, the dogma is filtering down to everybody. That's why they're doing. They're on breakfast telly with on, all over the news do, with these cow burp meters. You yeah, know? yeah. Totally ignoring the environmental aspect and not knowing what to do. And then and then I posted this thing on 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 my Facebook about it with Peter Ballastead going on about the real environmental issues. And, and because I posted, and then this, this, this meditator came up underneath, who used to be quite a reasonable guy, but then he's posting walls of text about climate change. I said, it's nothing to do with climate change. The podcast is nothing to, by all means, ignore it, you know, move on. But if you're going to comment, at least listen to the first 10 minutes. I don't have time. If you look on that thread on my Facebook, there must be, I don't know, two, three hours work or more. And he couldn't press play. Yeah, yeah. If he pressed play, he'd have gone, oh, my God, I was so – it's got nothing to do with climate change. It's to do with the soil, you know? And, and I kept saying, and everybody else did as well, why are you still commenting? And the extraordinary lengths people go to to not see what's going on. Nobody with a regular job, with just, just the breakfast telly to watch, with that – a scientist with a Calbert meter. Fuck. <laughs> Come on. 
this is what's persuading them to have meatless Mondays. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Uh, there, there we go. So that's why that's why I, I, I take piss out of vegans and stuff, and, and and I love it when other people do. Uh, just no violence, no nothing, no hate. And when they come and they, they they need some help, it's like, yeah, cool. And we've all been caught up in that. Yeah, sure. That's sure. fine. But let's show the complete absurdity of it. I love that. I yeah, love doing it. cool. So, so to round off then, Phil, tell us a bit about your course. Tell us about your books. Uh, I'll put all the information in, in the link below, but just tell tell people how they can get hold of you. Oh, we were having so much fun. I forgot about all that shit. <laughs> <laughs> It's just always so amusing talking to you, Louis. <laughs> what people maybe don't realise is we've we've hung out, we've had some amazing evenings together, absolute hilarity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and this dude is 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 my family. He's uh, he amazes me. He's Thank about you, mate. A, a, a third of my age, or maybe less. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, I always feel like I'm with this wise soul. You know, <laughs> Louis is somebody really you should take enormous notice of. He's a he's a he's a wise dude. He really is. Thank you, mate. And he has been since he was about naught. <laughs> some tremendous child prodigy stuff going on there. But anyway, yeah. So what have I struggled into by finally learning in my old age when I was already twice your age and just started looking into this shit and then still only just now do I do it? Yeah. So I've got, yeah, well, yeah, come and find me. Come and hang out on my 100% Carnivore and Beyond group. No snowflakes, please. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely place to hang out and take a piss and there's you know there's only uh, only one real offense there is being horrendously violent and, and abusive to anybody else or keep on reporting posts to me because really seriously you know if you don't like it just go past they usually point out the most hilarious ones to me so it's well, you know, <laughs> but it's very unlikely we get anything uh, any sympathy for that and, uh, and, and yeah, and my, my YouTube channel and, and, um, and I've just done this course. Um, I thought, you know, I'd, I, my, when I was trying to fix autoimmunity, the diet on its own didn't work. And so I thought I'd love to show people all the ways around, you know, and all of the different things from light to emotions to even life path and finding support in it and growing your confidence and, and getting rid of uh, dogma and and all the way through to all the spiritual stuff everything you know cold thermogenesis because you know all of this things that worked out of the thousands of things i tried the few things and these also seem to coincide with what the real brightest people are picking up on so my sort of intuitions into it my little uh, i've got 30 videos in there only five are to do with diet uh, and, and if we didn't have this dogma, it'd probably only have been one, you know. <laughs> but it's, so we got to unwind a few things. But um, yeah, there's 30 videos and uh, action plans and links to further investigation on all of these different subjects, and that's available. It's in, if you go to the shop um, page on my on my website, which is pureactivityoneword.net, or I think philescott.com gets to it now. Um, and yeah, I've got a I've got a little uh, ebook of uh, frequently asked questions about carnivory coming out. I got I landed on sixty nine because it it amused me that way because I'm childish, so I left it at that. <laughs> <laughs> but there's some good. Uh, Sean Baker gave me a nice little uh, thumbs up for that one as well, and, and and Paul Mabry, who is what a lovely dude that is. You know, he's on my on my group as well as the Zero Carb Doc. He's got his own Facebook group too. One of the most knowledgeable, most lovely, helpful docs I've 
ever come across. So look up Paul maybe, but he gave that the thumbs up too. And then, and then yeah, and the book, the book's available on Amazon and in my shop bit on the website. And yeah, and I do consultations and stuff if anybody wants to chat and, um, you know, um, see if we can get to the root of your autoimmune problems or bandy about a little bit of toilet humor or something. We always have fun on my Skype calls and some of the people I've called, have, have, uh, I've spoken to have become good friends subsequently. And so that's nice to give them a bit more time than, than their rheumatologist might for a fraction of the price. <laughs> <laughs> and actually send them out with something that isn't just a chemical that's going to make their liver come flying out of their arse. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah. Or detach their retina. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So there we go. Oh, wow. Mate. Fantastic. That was, that was it's it's just lovely chatting to you. Always yeah. Is. No, thank you, Phil. Thanks for coming on. And um, I'd like to sort of get you back for another chat to talk more about the other stuff. You know, the light and the spiritual and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But let's do that. Let's do I, that. Yeah. I, th I think it's um, you know, for anyone listening out there, it, it is a it is a process, and I, and I think you know one of the big things is breaking down that dogma and really starting to understand the body and starting to listen to it and doing some fasting and various other things that you can start to do. Um, but you know, the, the one thing I've always loved about what you've said phil is listen to your body and, and i think that is the most powerful important thing um you know I should think, you i think listening to the body and and also it's like i called the course the subtraction method because everybody's looking to add something a pill yeah a herb, yeah yeah, yeah superfood Ayurvedic potion it's about what you take away you yeah. know take away i always say this in every every chat i've had but it's like a muddy car you can't polish it you know, you've got to hose all the, all the mud off the car before you can polish it. And that's what the subtraction stuff is. Take away all the crap that's causing that. And then, yes, maybe you might find some plant medicines here and there to sort this out or other yep. little interventions. But really, there's no point, you know, there's, there's, there's no point taking a load of vitamin pills and stuff when you're stuffing your face full of carbs and living under blue light. It's going to do nothing. So, sure. yeah. And at that stage, like you say, you can't listen to your body because your body's giving you all sorts of crazy yeah, signals. Yeah, the wrong so, signals. Again, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely well thank you so much for coming on mate uh, enjoy your lamb and uh yeah let's let's catch up again soon yes mate let's do that okay let's thanks come Phil. Visit again soon. come and visit again soon. will do <laughs> <laughs> see you soon mate bye-bye bye-bye